Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 38, uh, Sarukian versus Gamrot, also known as UFC Vegas 57. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, as we're speaking right now, we just finished UFC Austin, and we talked a little bit about that one as, eh, you know, there was some good stuff on there. Uh, I mean, and it turned out fantastic. It was an absolute banger, one of the one of the most enjoyable free cable cards I can remember. Uh, but we also talked about it as a bit of a, you know, there's the, the feeling of a hangover after a, a big pay-per-view. This one, to me, there's the hangover, and then there's also the the don't spoil your dinner feeling, you know, like when the basket of bread or, or the chips and salsa come to your table, you know, okay. and your parents All are right. like, don't fill, don't fill up on bread. Yeah. This is like the don't fill up on bread card because another week from this, of course, we have UFC 276 that has uh, two huge title fights at the top and yeah. it, looking to be one of the UFC's biggest cards of the year. It's, you know, always around mm -hmm. international fight week and the 4th of July weekend. Tell me, man, What's like? What's your level of anticipation for for this card? Is this just another card, or do you see like sneaky amounts of good stuff on it? I, I think it's competitive matchmaking. That's the thing that kind of really stands out to me. So I think I said this week that I I play in a like I, I know you'd call it like an eliminator survivor type pool where uh, we have to pick one guy to win to move on to the next week. And there was one fight that really stood out to me. Like all the rest. You know, usually every week I have three or four. I'm like, God, oh, this guy, he's going with this guy. There was one of my guy. I'm super confident in this one. And the rest of the card, I'm like, man, it's pretty evenly matched fights. Uh, so that's the thing what stands out to me. And the main event obviously stands out to me. What stands out to me, I'm surprised these guys have the main event, being that they, you know, uh, Sarukian and Gamera, they're not huge names in the sport. But I'm so happy that it is the main event because this. This fight is as good as any fight that can be made right now. It, like, I think the talent is off the charts for both of these guys. I'm glad that I'm glad that if you're going to match these guys up, don't cheap us by giving us three rounds. Like I'm glad we're getting five rounds of these guys. Like last week, we just had um, two other guys that are really off the charts talent, but not names in Ismagulov and Kutalatsi. Like it, when I talk about not names, I know I say the guy's name wrong. I know I say Kutalatsi's <laughs> name wrong. But I still felt like we got cheated a little bit. Like the fight was so unbelievable. It was so technically sound. It was so much fun. And then we still didn't get those last two rounds. At least this fight, if it goes five, you know, goes into the championship rounds, we didn't get cheated. Um, we're not going to be disappointed at the end of the third round. Uh, I, I love the main event. I'm, I'm, I'm super, super excited to talk about the main event. Yeah, uh, same here. That's the obvious attraction. And just like you, I'm, I am glad that it's the main event. I, we were talking about Ismagulov versus Gutadaladze last week and saying this is about as quiet a fight as you can get in terms of name recognition between two guys that they both might be top five talents. We might look back on that fight two years from now yeah. when they're two of like the top three guys mm -hmm. circling around the title and not be surprised at all. And these are two more guys that fall right into that same category. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, 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 I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, you, you uh, know what it might be? It might be Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards, one. Yeah, it it definitely could be. Like two but, really good guys who fought earlier than probably we expected. 
Yeah, but in the case of those two, I don't think it'll be seven years before, like, you know, yeah, one yeah. of them's the, the I, champ. But... Yeah, I think one of these guys can be champion eight, 18 months from now or something. But yeah, I, I was just trying to think of like a, that was like, obviously that fight just got booked. So it's kind of in my head, but I'm sure there's no. other examples where we had two guys get booked right. on their ways way up to face each other. On this one, I mean, the only other thing I noticed, and it's one of those things that I use to take the temperature of fight night cards, how many of these people are probably going to get cut if they lose? There are a couple people that have kind of got their backs up against the wall here. Uh, but, yeah, there are also some pretty solid prospects who just, you know, they'll be looking to turn things around. And, you know, the UFC is always going to have dozens and dozens and dozens of those. And, you know, if we get some of just those little storylines coming into these, that's enough to keep my attention for a Saturday night for sure. Unless you got any other thoughts about this, uh, let's go ahead and dig right into those prelims. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We kick things off, or at least as the card is structured as of the beginning of fight week, this is scheduled to kick things off, a strawweight matchup between Vanessa Demopoulos and Jin Yu Fry. Demopoulos, the 33-year-old Colorado native, is 7-4 and four overall. She is 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC as... Uh, a veteran, though not a winner, on Dana White's Contender Series and a former LFA uh, strawweight champ. Since she's been in the UFC, she has lost a unanimous decision to J.J. Aldrich. Uh, come back from that this past January with a first-round submission of Silvana Gomez-Juarez. She'll be taking on Fry, the 37-year-old Texan, is 11 and 6 overall. She is uh, 2 and 2 since joining the UFC as a former Invicta Atomweight champ and a former Ryzen Super Atomweight title challenger. Uh, she lost two straight to open her UFC career against Kay Hansen and Loma Lugbunmi. Since then, has won back to back fights over Gloria De Paula and Ashley Yoder, uh, both of those by unanimous decision. Odds here favor Fry pretty strongly. She's minus 250, Demopolis plus 210 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, I'm going to kick this to you first, uh, but just like as kind of a conversation opener, both of these women feel undersized for the UFC strawweight division to me. Fry yeah. obviously used to be an actual atom weight. Demopolis yeah. seems tiny, and she seems tiny in the same way Fry does, where she is built, but just very short. I mean, the fight finder has her listed at five foot six. I call bullshit on that. She's going to stand across from Fry, who is five two, and I bet I bet they're going to be right yeah, nose to nose. Okay. Uh, let me know who you think wins this fight, and let me know if you think size kind of defines these women's ceiling in the division, no pun intended. Maybe when they measure, they did it with, like, the stripper uh, high heels Some big old clear heels on. <laughs> I, I said to myself when I was taking notes for this fight, I said, you know what? She's no longer a stripper. I'm not going to make any jokes about being a stripper. And I made it, like, the first thing I said on the show was a joke about being a stripper. I just think I just think I, I she I, I love that she uh, Demopolis is no longer a stripper and and I just think like when Demopolis told her parents uh, like when most fighters uh, female fighters tell their parents that they're gonna become fighters like there's so many stories about oh my parents didn't didn't like it my mom was scared and I just picture like one parent fight with the other one and be like, yeah, we don't want them to be a fighter, but at least they're not a stripper. Like, that's a good thing. Like, like Demopoulos' family is like the, uh, the only family that's the complete opposite. Like, when I heard her do an interview and she said, I, I don't know why I'm picking on her, but when she she says that she was a stripper and then her entire family's in the stripping business and and her dad's the DJ when she dances, like, that's just fucked up. I'm sorry. 
back to this fight though. Um, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners will have some, have some fun and, and I will apologize if I, if I am wrong about that, maybe I'm misremembering. And if it is, I, I will gladly apologize to the Domopolis family. Uh, Daniel Fry at this point of her career, I kind of think we know she's been around, it seems like forever. Uh, you know, obviously in the Invicta scene fighting overseas. Uh, she's, she's a Southpaw with low output, but kind of technically sound counter striker. Um, She's really good at picking up her opponent's timing. You mentioned that she is undersized, but despite being undersized division, she actually likes to get in the clinch and kind of grind in there. And surprisingly, like I always point this out because, you know, it's fairly recent memories when she beat up Loma Labumi in the clinch, which was really surprising to me. Uh, I do like that suddenly now uh, she's wrestling more than she has in the past. Uh, which which is really good. Uh, she'll just kind of just drop down in a single and run the pipe. I'd say she has okay entries, but some, a pretty good top game, uh, which which we saw against Gloria DePaulo. She looks to pass to better position. Uh, she has good takedown defense. Uh, and, and the one struggle she has in the grappling is because she's on the side, we've seen her get, kind of get held down. Uh, Demopolis, she's not a strong striker. She's She's very limited. Uh, she, she, she does some things right on the feet. Like she keeps her head, her, her chin tucked. She has a high guard. She kind of keeps everything tight inside, which I like. She throws a lot of right hands, but she lacks punches uh, power because she pulls her punches. Like we've talked about this in the past, uh, but that might change because her last fight, she's, she hurt um, Savannah Gomez Suarez before Subner. That might be a little bit of uh, what we kind of talk about. Um, Adolfo Vera later, where people are so, focused on your grappling they're not expecting the strikes coming uh the one thing about her though she's a tough like son of a bitch like she can take a beating and just keep moving forward um she's she's like rocky in that sense like it she's like she's like rocky if rocky was a stripper too like if you had that like you added that to to it uh she wants to get the fight to the ground uh she isn't a very strong wrestler she will shoot from really really far away and we'll, like even like we'll pull guard. She'll just like kind of close the distance uh, to get you down. She'll do she'll do Imanari rolls, uh, but she's really good on the ground. She's a five time world champion. She's got great flexibility, some slick back takes, good on bars, subs really everywhere. Uh, and then I, I always bring this up because it's such a slick submission. Go back to like that inverted triangle she hit on um, Sam Hughes. So as far as prediction goes. I think the Mopolis is bigger than you think. I think she will have a size advantage on Fry. Uh, she could catch Fry in a submission, but Fry is probably the more technically sound fighter. I see her kind of stick and moving, kind of point kickboxing game, winning a few of the clinch battles and winning a close decision. So give me Fry by decision, but I have no confidence in this fight. Honestly, I see it playing out the same way you do. My, my thought was that Fry does a low output kickboxing game on her way to winning two out of three rounds against Demopolis and Demopolis struggles to bring it to the ground. Fry knows better to let it than to let it go there. Uh, I feel as though Fry's couple of camps that she spent at Fortis have, have really kind of, uh, they've helped her in terms of game planning and in cage adjustments, but they haven't changed the basic fighter that she is. And she is a bit of a scream at the TV fighter, e even during her run as Invicta champ where she was, I mean, she was one of the top three Adam Wits in the world yeah. on, on paper. 
like you just find yourself screaming at the TV. Like those two fights with Mina Grisanda were just ten rounds of agony because it was two fighters waiting for the other to go. Yeah, and while she won, she, both, I thought she lost. I thought she lost both of them. I but, and, in both of them, and and it's perfectly justifiable to think that because her style doesn't lend itself to definitively winning rounds. She doesn't throw a lot of volume, and because they were atom weights, nobody really has a ton of power. So yeah. it's up to really little nuances for you to decide who won a round. I, uh, I think I gave. Sorry to interrupt you. I think I gave one of the Ashley. I think she fought Ashley Cummings twice, right? Yeah, the second time she missed weight, and so she vacated her title. Okay, but I think yeah. she gave Cummings that fight too. Like, I'm like, man, Fry, I always think she loses, but she wins. And, and with, with Cummins, it was perfect because Cummins like, isn't going to wait for anybody. She would come forward and force action out of Fry, which made them better fights. But yeah, like, man, you look at Fry and she's got this murderous scowl. She is absolutely ripped. She it's is the like best abs in the game. Yeah, she's on. She's way up there on the list of fighters where there's the biggest disparity between how much ass it looks like they're going to kick and how much they actually kick once they get in the cage. She's up there with like you know like Lyman Good and Shek Congo. Yeah, so like yeah. oh, this person is going to rip the other person's head off, and then it's just kind of a slow paced kickboxing battle with a lot of clinching against the fence. She's the oh. only female that can make Tisha Torres like out of shape. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> she's that ripped. Come on, Tisha, eat a salad sometime, you know? <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> but I, I'm with you. And I might be wrong. If if you're right about the Demopolis having a little bit more size on Fry than I'm giving her credit for, and she is able to force things to the ground, this pick could change. But I think Fry's takedown defense is going to hold up. Fry's going to get the better of things on the feet. There'll be individually hard rounds to score. Probably kind of hard to watch, but give me Fry to win two out of three of them. Who, who, man, who, I'm sorry. Who's the favorite? Fry's a big favorite. She's minus 250. Oh, no way. No way. She shouldn't be that big. Right. Okay. Well, I, even if I think Fry's that much better a fighter, I don't trust her ability to win rounds in the eyes of judges that definitively. That, yeah, no, I, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think she should be. Next up, we head to the Bantamweight division for a matchup between Brian Kelleher and Mario Batista. Kelleher, the 35-year-old from Long Island, is 24-13 and 13 overall. He is 8-6 and six in the UFC, uh, though he has bounced back and forth between Bantamweight and Featherweight over that time. So he's 8-6 and six in the UFC. He's 5-3 and three at Bantamweight. He did fight at Featherweight last time out. It was against Umar Nurmagomedov who appears higher up on this card and is also a habitual Bantamweight. It did not turn out well for Kelleher as he got choked out uh, late in the first round, which snapped a two-fight win streak for him. He'll be looking to get things back on track against Bautista. The 28-year-old Arizona native is 9-2 and two overall. He's 3-2 and two since joining the UFC as uh, a former standout at Combate Americas. He won his last time out. It was a unanimous decision win over Jay Perrin at UFC Fight Night Walker versus Hill back in February. Odds are fairly close on this one, but Batista is a moderate favorite. He's minus 155 right now. Kelleher plus 130. Uh, Keith, Brian Kelleher, he's he's always there. He's one yeah. of those guys that he's he's, a, he's the kind of guy that if there were, if this were 15 years ago we'd be talking about him like Clay Guida. Or if it was 10 years ago, we'd be talking about him like Neil Magny, who appears higher up on this card. But 
to be an action fighter who just fights, it feels like month in and month out. Yeah. It's harder to stand out in an era where there's 40, 42, 43 yeah. uh, events a year. But Brian Keller, he's always there. How does he do this time? Um, yeah, Brian Keller, he's, he's, he's just an interesting guy. Like he's, I don't, I never have got a really good grasp at him because he doesn't do anything where like just jumps off the charts and be like, well, this is really good. But then he just finds ways to win. Uh, he's a, just a solid veteran that is that is more technically sound than he is explosive. He's fairly well rounded. He uses pressure well. He's a counter striker. He has high volume, a very boxing style. He uses feints well to draw out attacks. Surprise, like surprising power. He he doesn't get enough credit for the power he has. He doesn't check a lot of light kicks, which I don't like. Very boxing style to him. He isn't a strong, technically sound wrestler, but he has good enough like timing on his takedowns to get the fight to the ground. He's also very committed to get to the fight to the ground. Like he's, he's that guy. He kind of knows what he needs to do to win. Um, and it gets there. The one thing I hate about him, but it keeps working for him is he, he defends takedowns by jumping on guillotines, but he has a really, really good guillotine. It has worked out for him a lot. Um, he's, a, he's the ultimate guy that he's going to put himself in a position to win a fight. Even when he's outmatched skilled, like he's he'll give himself the best opportunity possible. Now, uh, Mario Batista, he's a crafty, stri- crafty striker with good footwork. He uses footwork to keep his range. Good at good at getting all the way in, landing shots, and getting out before uh, for before getting hit, kind of like in and out style. Cuts angles well, sidesteps when attacking. He uses feints well to set up his long strikes. He lacks power. He's he's, he's you know he's not a big cracker. Uh, he's been hurt. Specifically to the body in the past, uh, but some things I do like, and I insert this for any guy who does this. But when pressing, I love that he throws step in knees. He also likes to do flying knees too, but he loves those step in knees to the body. He's a strong, strong clinch fighter, weak offensive wrestler, but he did show some improved takedown defense going back to the Miles Johns fight. And if taken down, he's active enough to get back up. Uh, as far as prediction, I think the odds are off again. Like I think this should be a re- even closer fight. I mean, I guess it's a fairly close. Like one's negative one fifty. Like Batista's mm-hmm. negative one fifty. I think it should be pretty much a pick them, but you know that's fairly close. Uh, I am taking Batista. I'm just taking because I think he's a better athlete. I think he's slightly faster, but I think we have a war. I think this is going to be a back and forth war. Uh, I'm going to take Batista by decision, but again, n- no confidence in this prediction. I feel the the same way you are to the point that I've been leaning Kelleher uh, ever since I really started thinking hard about this fight. The one thing that gives me pause is if Kelleher like shoots a sloppy takedown to get this thing to the ground and runs right into a flying knee or, or something like that. Just Batista, he's he's a lot quicker and more explosive than Kelleher is. He's younger. Uh, if Kelleher can can force he the fight, he wants. Well, yeah, it doesn't have a yeah. nose ring. Uh, <clears throat> if Keller, and I, I hate to use the old UFC cliche, impose my will, but if Keller can make this into a Brian Kelleher fight, I do like him to just kind of win a, a grimy, hard-nosed battle. But I won't be comfortable with it until the final horn sounds because I will be worried about, even though Batista, I mean, He's not the kind of guy that flattens you with one punch. Since he started throwing flying knees, it it makes you think of the Miles Johns fight. Like, Miles Johns is probably the best win in the UFC that either of these guys has. And it was Bautista taking out a good wrestler and a much, like, more explosive guy than himself just by timing him perfectly with a flying knee. 
I could see Kelleher walking into one of those. I'm picking against that, though. Give me Brian Kelleher in the slight upset here by decision. We head now to the men's flyweight division for a matchup between J.P. Bays and Cody Durden. Bays, the 26-year-old South African, is 9-4 overall. He is 0-2 since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he has lost to Bruno Silva, who knocked him out last March, and then more, more recently, Montel Jackson, to whom he lost a unanimous decision last September at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Span. Uh, Obviously been a rough year for Bays, taking all kinds of L's in and out of the cage. He will attempt to get things back on track against Durden. The 31-year-old uh, Atlanta native is 12-4-1 overall. He is 1-2-1 in the UFC. Uh, he lost his most recent outing. It was a guillotine choke submission by Mohamed Mokayev in under a minute at uh, UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Aspinall back in March. That blunted the momentum of his lone UFC win so far, which was over Aurichi Lang last November. Odds on this one extremely close, almost to pick him on some books, but Bayes is the slightest of favorites right now. He's around minus 120 on most of the books. Durden is available at even money, plus 100 on a couple of books right now. Uh, Keith, J.P. Bayes. Favored to salvage at least something out of this most disastrous of years. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Who you got in this one? Um, yeah, this is a tough one. It really is. Uh, they, they, they match up, you know, stylistically pretty tough against each other. Um, neither guy is, is huge UFC talents, kind of bottom of the barrel. Both guys are probably fighting for their, for their jobs. Uh, Durden's better than news for... Uh, controversial comments. JP Bay's been in the news for uh, some also con controversial comments he's made. He, he could be uh, forgiven for making some co some controversial yeah, comments. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Darren is a wild fighter. He's fun to watch. Like, say what you want about him, you can hate him. He gives you plenty of reason to hate him, but he's fun. Like, he's fun and he's that. He's a pressure action guy who throws lots of looping power shots. He throws hard leg kicks, hard um body kicks he checks kicks he he looks to wrestle but i think his wrestling is extremely overrated now um he looked really good against chris gutierrez took him down held him down uh, which is really good he's got some top uh some good top control some strong ground and pound uh but then other times he's really struggled to get guys to the ground so uh, i'm also worried about his submission defense as he's been subbed he's got four losses he's been subbed in three of them so that's very concerning for a guy who wants to get to put the ground now JB Bays, on the other hand, uh, he's a wrestle boxer uh, on the feet. He's a pocket boxer, likes to throw hard inside shots, good pop in his shots. He kind of has a sneaky high kick, uh, but he he hangs his hands too low, relies on his head movement, kind of keeps his chin high. He's been his chin has been checked. I mean, he was plunked by Bruno Silva. He was in his last fight, he was blasted over and over again by Mantel Jackson. He doesn't check leg kicks. But he's an elite wrestler. He's a, well. Hold on. He's an elite wrestler in credentials. I should say. I mean, he's competed on some, the international scene. Uh, when we've seen him at his best, great entries, fun in scrambles. But what surprised me is that he's been taken down by less credentialed wrestlers. Like K Cody Durden, if he takes down JB Bays, I like, I wouldn't be surprised by that. <laughs> Even though one was like a Georgia high school wrestler, and the other one was like wrestling on the high level international scene. But uh, going back to Bays, 
good top control, good ground and pound. Cardio has been a bit of an issue. He has gassed out in the past, which I don't like. As far as predictions go, stylistically, I think Bay should win. I mean, Durden likes to wrestle, and, and as I mentioned, Bay is a way more decorated wrestler. However, Bay is like greatly underperformed, kind of fought down to his competition. And we, we kind of alluded to it. He has a lot of serious personal shit going on with him right now, which uh, we, we can't get in his head. We have no idea what's going on. But I've never picked based on stuff going on outside the cage. Like, that's not really my thing. I like to try to analyze the, the X's and O's between these guys. So I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to go with base to win a grappling match and to get the decision. But this is the third fight in a row. I'm saying this. I have zero confidence in my pick. But give me base my decision. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the analysis. I, the the first thing I remember about base, and I should have mentioned off the top that he's a two time veteran of the Contender Series. You know, he lost his first time around on the very first season of the Contender Series. When I mean, to be fair to him, he was like. 21 and had three pro fights or something, but uh, and then won his second time around. But how non dominant he was as a wrestler, and you know, those credentials don't they don't come across just wholesale, you know, like you can be the kind of freestyle wrestler that you get really, really good at a bunch of skills that don't translate well to MMA that are just meaningless to MMA, and then you can be kind of a middling wrestler who picks up skill sets that just work perfectly That's with. Right. Like magic, I mean, your, your magic game is built around tilts. Well, yeah, and, and it's funny, you know. <laughs> I, I I go back to my like like four interview series with uh, Logan Storley. He specifically said that he's like he's like if you're one of the best people in the world at tilts and turns, like. Yeah. And, but but I, I'm I learned how to wrestle against matted walls. Like I'm gonna be a better MMA wrestler than yeah. you are. Like Spencer uh, Lee is uh, Spencer Lee is pound for pound probably the best wrestler in in the NCAA's right now, and his. Big time of his game is the tilt series. Maybe I'm not now. I'm not saying Spence Lee wouldn't be a great MMA fighter, but right. it just it's yeah, it, it just it, things are different. Yeah, absolutely, uh, <clears throat> and same with the out of cage drama. I mean, <sighs> this past week we just saw Adrian Yanez win his, his fifth UFC fight in a row. If he had, if, if anyone had an excuse to like have their mind not in the game because of stuff happening outside the cage, like as his coach died in the, you know, in the middle of his run, he would have. So I, I'm with yeah, you like, there. What, I, what was it like a, a week before or something like that? Before he uh, was fighting Davy Grant? Something, yeah. something crazy. I know it was like Mono Martinez. It was like the week of his debut. Yeah. Yeah. It was like yeah. right when uh, Martinez debuted. So uh, my, my concern is that uh, Bayes is, going to try to wrestle and he's going to find himself against the guy that while not as credentialed is as good a functional MMA wrestler and is actually kind of like bigger and stronger than him. I think Mazes is going to, is going to run into problems here. Durden is a wild fighter and that, you know, you sound like a guy who would not put money on any of these fights that we've discussed so far, just too many unpredictable factors. Uh, but, but I, I would certainly shy away from this one. Uh, even as I like am leaning towards Durden here, but yeah, give me give me Durden to probably win some ex some exciting exchanges on the feeds. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens the first time Baze goes for a takedown. If he even does, like he may even just choose to test his luck on, on the feet for as long as it goes. I think this will be a fun fight. I think both these guys are fighting for their jobs. I don't. In the case of Baze, I think that's going to make him turn to what he sees as his 
like his safe place, which is wrestling. I don't think it's going to affect Durden at all. Like, say what you want about the guy. He doesn't give many fucks. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I have the feeling he's going to come out wild, but I do still uh, I do still favor him in this one to uh, hold on to his UFC job for better or worse. And if he says something about sending Bays back to South Africa, God help us all. Bantamweights are up next, as it is Howley and Paiva meeting Sergei Morozov. Paiva, the 26-year-old Brazilian, is 21-4 and overall. He's 3-3 three and three since joining the UFC out of the very first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He lost his first two fights in the UFC, although those losses to Kai Carr France and Rogerio Bontarin have certainly aged well. Uh... He since then has taken he got uh, three straight wins over Mark De La Rosa, Jalga Shumagolov, and Kyler Phillips. The last of those involved him moving up from flyweight to bantamweight. Uh, his second outing at bantamweight did not go quite as well as he met Sean O'Malley last December at UFC 269 and got put on the rainbow haired band's highlight reel with a late first round knockout. He will look to get things back on track against Morozov. The 33 year old from Kazakhstan is 17 and five overall. He is one and two since joining the UFC as an M1 standout. Uh, he has lost to Umar Nurmagomedov, who appears further up this card, uh, beaten Khalid Taha, and most recently got choked all the way out by Douglas Silva de Andrade at UFC 271 in February. Uh, this is yet another a fight on uh, to open up the UFC Vegas 57 card that is close on the books. Uh, Morozov minus 140 right now, Paiva plus 120 on the comeback. Keith, feel as though both these guys are probably better than their UFC records look. I mean, Paiva is 500 in the UFC, Morozov yeah. under 500, but they've been fighting really good people, and in a lot of cases, they've been pretty, uh, they've been pretty competitive against them. How do how do you see this one going, and who do you like? Yeah. Um... Yeah, they could have they could have split these guys up a little bit, been a little nice to these guys. Uh, it's a fantastic fight. It really is. Uh, really, really tough fight to pick. I'm gonna say right now. I'm gonna say it again. Like I'm gonna have no confidence in my predictions, and and that's probably gonna be a theme because that's one thing I was talking about during the intro is how evenly matched this card is, pretty much from top to bottom. Um, Paiva is a guy that I've I've always really liked. I've really thought he was uh, much better than his like name value he has. He's a good striker with good output. He's long and lengthy. He really presses the action. He keeps his hands low, but has good head movement um, to set up his shots. Chris jab, straight punches down the pipe, uh, which which I really like. His straight right is really good. I, I like that he goes to the body. He goes to the, to the legs with the kicks. Underrated in the clinch. I, I like that he will mix in some takedowns, so he's not just one-dimensional. But the biggest weakness he has is his defensive wrestling. Go back to like the Kyla Phillips fight. He got taken out four times in that fight. Uh, um, by, by a guy who who want, who generally wants to strike. Yeah. No, but I mean, there's a reason why he turned he turned Phillips into a wrestler because he was surprisingly having a lot more success than I think pretty much anybody was expecting on the feet. Uh, Morozov, he's one and two in the UFC, and you mentioned it. Like, I think he's much better than that. Right now, obviously, the Namagamadov fight. It is what it is. I think the Dion Drosh loss was a fluke. I really think if they fought again, Morozov wins that fight. Uh, I, I think he, because that's what I think he's good. Like when I watch his skills, he's a very good athlete, uh, good on, on the feet, in the ground. He's a very fluid striker, good footwork, fast hands, got some sting in his shots. I love that he throws combination and adds kicks into his combo, which, which is um, 
something not enough strikers do. A lot of guys either like kickbox or they box. They don't kind of put it together. He's got really good kicks too. I like that he mixes in takedown attempts in his striking. Like he'll throw a combination and then end with a, you know, an entry. Uh, he does need to improve his his ground control, um, but uh, he's got good ground and pound when he has his opponent pinned, and he's got three submission wins. So as far as the f- prediction, I really like this fight. Like this is one of the ones that jump out to me. If like sometimes I kind of have an idea of like what you're gonna ask when we preview it. I thought you were say, hey, give me like a, a undercard fight that you're really looking forward to. This was one I was gonna say. Um, I'm high in both guys. I expect a war. I expect both guys to have their moments. I am going. See, even when I'm talking, I'm flipping. I, 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 man, and I know whichever guy I'm going to pick, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go Moroso simply because he, I think he has the wrestling advantage. Uh, plus, Paiva was clunked in his last fight. So that always, I'm always a little wary of taking a guy who just got knocked out because, you know, um, we've seen it before, like guys get knocked out and they never really recover. Uh, but I, I think this is good. I'm so close. I'm going to go with another split decision. I'm going to take Morozov by split decision with zero confidence again. I I can definitely feel that. Things I definitely know about these two guys, I'm glad that Halle and Paiva has decided to settle in at Bantamweight. I mean, he was, he was huge, like, early in his run, and I'm not sure that it was the best thing for him to to try to keep making flyweight, even, even as he won a couple of fights there. Uh, yeah, but and but you know as he's moving in because he's still just twenty five or twenty six, uh, it was gonna keep getting harder anyway, and he's growing into his body, like probably growing in, into his power. Even in those divisions, he's really just entering his physical prime now. I'm glad he has made the choice to uh, to apparently stick at bantamweight, even if last time out against Sean O'Malley it didn't work out great for him. But hey, you know what? You and I both agree that Sean O'Malley is a next level striker. Like when he's on, he's a guy that makes good strikers look yeah. ordinary. Yeah, I'm all uh, on O'Malley. Uh, here, I kind I kind of wonder, you know, if Morozov is gonna look at takedowns as the best route to victory against Paiva, and if he does, how that's gonna go. Um, but even though he's the slight underdog here, I'm leaning towards Paiva. I, I'm gonna i i want to kind of discard the loss to uh, o'malley as yeah the better fighter won and made it look easy but that's not a thing that many people in the division are going to be able to duplicate uh give me paiva to win this one by decision and get the best things get the best of things on the feet probably sting morozov with uh some of his nice long straight punches uh, hopefully keep him at bay, not get taken down, uh, and uh, win two out of three rounds in a really fun fight. We head now to the featherweight division for a matchup between Shai Lan and TJ Brown. Uh, Shai Lan, who at various times has gone by Yilan Shah or Nerdumbeka Shai Lan, the UFC is going to call him Shai Lan because that's the Mongolian naming convention, and so shall we because it's easier. Xia Yilan, the uh, 28-year-old from Western China, is 37 and 10 overall. He's one and one in the UFC. He lost his debut to Josh Kulabal, uh, came back and beat Sean Soriano in his second UFC outing. That was last November at UFC Fight Night Vieira versus Tate. Both of those fights were unanimous decisions. Uh, he'll be taking on Brown, the 32-year-old glory MMA and fitness prospect is, well, I say prospect, product anyway. Uh, he's 32 and he's got 
this is his 25th fight. Uh, he is 16 and 8 overall. He is 2 and 2 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, lost his first two to Jordan Griffin and Danny Chavez. Since then, has come back with two straight wins over Kai Kamaka and Charles Rosa. The second of those, the Rosa fight, was this past January at UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Chikadze. Uh, on a card full of very, very close matchups on the odds books, this one is one of the wider lines. Uh, Brown's minus 200 right now. Shailan plus 170. Keith. Two guys enter the cage at 500 in the UFC. One of them is going to leave above 500, presumably. Yeah. Which one of them is it? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'm. I was wondering why Brown was such a favorite, as you said that. Uh, Brown Brown's a wrestle boxer, so you know I I, I like those guys. Um, I do think he's better than the two and two record in the UFC shows. Um, that's surely just based on on the skills I've seen he's he's a good boxer he's got fast hands some a stinging jab his crossing and hooks he, he do have some power he does drop his hands though and keeps his chin high which makes him a huge target and he's been hurt a lot I and mean, I think about like the Danny Chavez fight Danny Chavez kind of teed off on him a little bit but some of the things I like about him he throws a lot of kicks goes to the head with a fast kick he's a very good wrestler nice reactionary double chain wrestles uh together Good on top, good ground pound. He has a submission threat. He kind of has that, the the wrestling submissions. Like he likes the head and arm choke, triangle choke. Um, so I, 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 I like some of the things he does. Now, Shalilan, he's a shorter, stocky kind of guy. Has some pop. Uh, he loves his overhand right and is a little happy with his power shots. Uh, because he throws so many power shots, he can have some low output. And he's not a great athlete. I'd say he's a minus athlete. And I go all the way back, like, when I was watching the regional scene of him before he was in the UFC, yeah, I, he went against uh, Zhu Rong and got absolutely crushed. Uh, when he fought Josh Kulabao, he really struggled with the speed of Josh Kulabao. Uh, that's on the feet. Now, it, it, on the ground, he's a good wrestler. Like He's relentless to get a takedown. He will shoot. Um, sometimes he'll shoot without a setup. We actually kind of saw that in his last fight against um, Sean Soriano, Providence's own. But you can do that against a guy like Sean Soriano. Uh, when he's at top, he does need to improve his top game. But he is a submission threat. He has a bunch of, of submissions going back to his original scene. As far as prediction goes, I like Brown here. I think he looked really, really good in his last fight against Charles Rosa. Uh, I think a lot of guys look really good against Charles Rosa. So maybe I'm giving him a little too much credit than I, I think he should. Uh, but I think he's a better boxer. I really do. I, I, think, I think he can... Do enough in the grappling to le to at least like cancel out Shalilans and kind of force it to be on the feet. I like his output more than Shalilans, uh, and I think he's a better athlete. So, and he's I think he's got more high level experience. So, overall, this is one of the ones I actually feel pretty good. So, give me give me Brown by decision and uh, and a fairly confident pick. I'm uh, all on board with you here. The thing I'll give Brown is that he has looked better to me in each of his UFC outings. Like his first two, uh, you know, his first two outings in the UFC, sure, he, he lost both of them, but not only that, they've not aged well. Oh, he has ended he up being terrible. Danny Chavez's, he has ended up being Danny Chavez's only UFC win. Yeah. Uh, he was the only win, like Jordan Griffin went one in five in his last six fights in the UFC, oh. and Brown was the only win out of those. But since then, you say, you know, he looked good against Charles Rosa and it's easy. Maybe it's easy to look good against him. But for what it's worth, 
he made the TJ Brown game go really well against uh, Charles Rosa. And uh, same in the Kai Kamaka fight, even if he just barely won it. To the point where I now think, okay, this guy belongs. Like, he's he's probably not going to lose his job if he loses here. He probably belongs in the UFC no matter what. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure about that in the case of uh, Shai Yilan. Weird to say this about a fighter who has as many fights as he does. I mean, we have him down for 47 fights. And him being a, a fighter from the Chinese regional scene, it may be 50 by the time we get to fight night. We may still be finding more, like, lost tournaments on this guy. But Jay Petchy will fight him, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, like, none of his... You point out that he's a good wrestler, and part of that, I think, is just he's a pretty athletic guy, physically strong, you know, uh, good tools for it, but none of his other skills really stand out that strongly to me. He feels like a bit of an overreach in the UFC's search for the next Chinese star, where they're just like, yeah, well, totally this guy right. from China has got a pretty good highlight reel. He was, at the time, a teammate of Wei Li Zhang. Uh, not anymore, since Zhang has kind of moved her training to the States, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he'll be gone after this one, but I don't think he's long for the UFC at this point, whereas Brown has kind of staked out a little place for himself. Give me Brown to use his wrestling in reverse to kind of keep things on the feet and probably hurt Shailan a, a few times. I, I don't know if we'll get a finish, but I I bet his power is gonna is gonna give Shailan something to think about. And uh, Shailan maybe a little busted up by the end of this fight, but uh, give me Brown with a pretty comfortable decision. Let, let me ask you this question before we move on. So TJ Brown, we, I made a joke about him beating up Charles Rosa, saying anybody can look good. TJ Brown left the UFC and fought in Bellator. He's instantly a title challenger, isn't he? I mean, Sydney Outlaws fighting for the title. Yeah, I mean, Brown, obviously he'd be outside of like the McKee and Pitbull duo, but I mean, you want to tell me he can't? Oh be yeah, he's 145. Sorry, I'm thinking he's 145. But yeah, I mean, sorry, I was thinking at 155 for a second. Sorry, I screwed that up. But yeah, I yeah. mean, dude, okay, Pedro yeah. Carvalho challenged that's a much, the title a year yeah, ago. Yeah, that's yeah. But 145 is much better. For some reason, I was thinking about 155, and I was thinking dude, he might challenge for the 155 title. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think he could beat Patricky, but he's probably the second best if he did. Like for some reason, I thought he was 155. I just screwed that up. What must Chandler think? Where Chandler's like, Sydney Outlaw, who I basically punted out of the cage oh. <laughs> in my last fight in Bellator, is over there fighting for a title. Good uh, Lord. In the best division in MMA, or one of them. Yeah. Not the best division in Bellator. No, sir. Yeah. Next up at UFC Vegas 57, we have the light heavyweights, as it is Carlos Olberg versus Tafan and Chukwi. Olberg, the 31-year-old uh, New Zealander, is 4-1 and one overall in mixed martial arts. He is, of course, a former kickboxer. He's 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he lost his debut to Kennedy and Zuchukwu by second-round uh, knockout. Came back and won a three-round decision over Fabio Charant in February at UFC 271. He will attempt to keep that uh, momentum going against Nchukwi, the 27-year-old uh, Cameroonian by way of the Washington, D.C. area, is 6-2 uh, and two overall. He's 2-2 two and two since joining the UFC out of the same season of the Contender Series. He has alternated wins and losses, uh, defeating Jamie Pickett, losing to Junyong Park, defeating Mike Rodriguez, and most recently at UFC Fight Night uh, Santos versus Ankalaev in March, 
losing by third round knockout to Azamat Mirzakhanov. Odds on this one are close. Olberg, the slightest of favorites as of the beginning of fight week. He's out there around minus 115, minus 120 on both on most uh, books. And Chukwi available at even money, plus 100 most places. Keith, stardom is there for Carlos Olberg if he can just win some fights. He's a teammate of Israel Adesanya. He's a city yeah. kickboxing guy. He looks like a villain from a 90s kickboxing movie. <laughs> like, he's just this good-looking dude, tall and ripped. He's got... He's got the arrogance. He's got the arrogance yeah. of a kickboxing movie villain. And arrogance he, he is good. Yeah, like, he could have been in Karate Kid 3. Yeah. As, as like, Daniel's opponent. Instead of that, like, like replace the, the, the ponytail guy with him. Like, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it's all there. Like, Ulbrich has that little chip on his shoulder, that little should, bit of... Let's see how much power we have. Like, the most popular TV show in the world right now is Cobra Kai. Can we get Mike... I mean, uh, Carlos Alberg, can we get him in? Can we get him in Cobra Kai? Can we make this a, a thing? Let's let, let, let's see. Just, yeah, like they bring in like assistant to help. Hey, I mean, we, we <laughs> got like 19,000 subscribers. I'm sure that like the, the entertainment world is like flexing around us like the Matrix around Neo, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's going to happen. Who knows? Maybe one of our listeners is like an executive with Netflix or something. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Dev, Boss, any of you guys? Yeah. Uh, but, like, obviously, you do have to keep winning your fights. The, the UFC was all teed up to make Blood Diamond the next big thing. Oh, yeah. Like, how many times do they just call a dude by his nickname in his very yeah, first fight? Blood Diamond. You, you got to be, well, you got to be a buddy of Israel Adesanya, and you have to have one hell of a kickboxing highlight reel. Yeah. And that fell flat on its face. So did Olberg in his first outing. I mean, he, he looked good for a bit against Kennedy and Zuchukwu, but left his chin out where it shouldn't have been, and, and Zuchukwu made him pay for it. Yeah. Came back with a win over Fabio Charant. That, I mean, dude, that fight sucked so bad. That fight was so bad that Charant's coach apologized to Olberg in the cage afterwards. Like, Henry Hooft yeah. was like, I'm sorry our guy didn't show up. <laughs> yeah. Does he keep it going here against Zuchukwu or... Uh, you know, is is he going to trip again? I. It's funny you, you said this because I actually like forgot how bad that fight was. Um, I actually like put notes down as like it was a good showing for Olberg. Well, it was um, a great choice for Olberg, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That the Charant did nothing. Um, and uh, yeah, this is intriguing because it. I think it's such an evenly matched fight, and I really think the winner uh, will will take a big step. Up, they did have a pretty solid win over a, a you know pretty talented opponent. Um, they're built really different. Like, and Chukwu is this short, stocky, light heavyweight that's built like a brick shit house. Uh, athletic, he th he <laughs> for a little short guy, he throws a lot of spinning attacks. Um, he also surprisingly has a high kick for a short guy. He, cut, he actually has like a high kick, like a Derek Lewis high kick, where you like you don't think it's possible that they can get their leg up there, but they do. Yeah, um, he's in the pocket. He's a good pocket boxer. I should say he's a good pocket, but he's just like a strong, powerful guy. So anytime he throws punches, it's a danger. Uh, he throws a lot of wide haymakers, and he tends to load up on everything. But he has power in both of his hands. Um, in fairness, though, I should mention this as I, I watched his last fight. He 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 wasn't as wild in his last fight against uh, Mersakhanov. Like he was he was he was pretty composed. Like he was kind of like a. a, a 
kind of uh, a little more calculated in the striking. I do like him in the clinch. Like he lands power uh, shots in the clinch. I think some of it has to do with being shorter. It's like easier to land uppercuts. Uh, he does build a frame and kind of land small shots in small places. He did show some offensive wrestling against Mike Rodriguez. He took him down three times, but he has been taken down three out of his last four fights, but did show in his last fight a, a little bit of improved takedown defense. Um, plus, when he's taken down, he's so strong, it's really hard to hold him down. He can kind of just like do a push-up, and he's back up to his feet. Uh, Alberg, as you mentioned, is very athletic. He's a good kickboxer. He's composed, uh, stays with it kind of within his realm, what he wants to do. High volume, quick, accurate, technically sound. Uh, he kind of has like a, like a modified high guard where he kind of keeps one side really high, um, glued to his face, and he's kind of like pawing with his left hand. He uses feints well, both with his hands and his hips, kind of a, a lot of shoulder rolls and stuff. He uses distance well, a bit of an outfighter. I'd say plus power, good kicks. He likes those oblique kicks. I like the way he pivots when attacked. You mentioned Fabio Charant. Like, he didn't do much, but when he did, he uh, Alberg did a good job of like, pivoting and cutting an angle and like kind of landing a check left hook what he did. Um, and he showed some good takedown defense recently. Like he's not easily taken down for a guy who's like a kickboxer. I'm really imp- intrigued with this matchup. Um, I'm, I am on the fence, but I'm going to go with Alberg. Both guys are great athletes. They really are. But Alberg has the length. He's going to, he's going to need to keep moving. He's going to need to cut angles. He's going to need to avoid the fence, not get pressured back, not get overpowered with the, the, the physicality of Nchukwi. However, once he does, I think he can start picking him apart in the range. I think he kind of, the, the deeper the fight goes, I think the more Olberg's uh, speed advantage and length and everything takes over, uh, especially if Nchukwi is throwing like haymakers, hitting air. Uh, that that won't go well. Um, I think I actually think Alberg's gonna find a late finish. Give me Alberg by third round TKO. I'm with you on this one, and I should I should have mentioned off off the top that as stacked as Ntukwi is, he's only really moved up to 205 in earnest in his last couple fights. I mean, he was a 185er uh, coming up for a, a lot of it. Uh, or at least fighting 185ers. You know, like his UFC debut was against Jamie Pickett on the contender series. He fought. Um, Pickett's a big dude, though. Pickett's a, a big dude. But I mean, on the contender series, he fought Al Madaval that didn't even look like they should be like allowed to fight each other. But, you know, he he's moved up and fought good sized light heavyweights and Mike Rodriguez and Azamat Mirzakhanov. Well, Mike Rodriguez is huge light heavyweight. Yeah. Huge. He's not good. He's not good, but he won this past weekend, so. <laughs> Hey, there, oh, was uh, was it uh, CES? Yes. Yeah, I actually didn't go. But it's, I, I, that's, that's how bad the scene is right now. I just think, I'm not going. Tim is <laughs> down the road. I'm not going. Uh, but I, I'm with you here because, you know, Nchukwe is going to want to strike with him. He's going to want to try to knock him out. And Olberg is just a much niftier striker, better footwork, faster, longer reach. Unless Olberg just has a lapse and makes a mistake like he did against Enzuchukwu. Like, I think this is his fight to win. And I agree with you that uh, he will probably, I mean, I, I can see the first round being close as he's cautious, lets Enzuchukwu come to him, kind of feels out the range and the rhythm. But once he starts making Enzuchukwu miss and starts punishing him with counters, you know, starts 
slipping out the side and just Nchukwi's charging and swinging at air. Like, once Nchukwi starts getting tired, if Olberg wants to turn on the Jets, I can see him getting a late finish as well. So I'm just going to be uncreative and jump right on here with a third-round uh, TKO for Carlos Olberg. And, yeah, just watch the watch the publicity, you know, train just keep on cranking. You know, he will figure yeah. prominently in Adesanya's next uh, embedded, you know, episode, I'm sure. No, wait till he's uh, doing, uh, he's Johnny, who's Johnny fights in Mexico or something. <laughs> Sorry if I gave a spoiler to, uh, to <laughs> the next uh, season. <laughs> yeah, the next season of Cobra Kai, if you're, if you're not caught up. We head now to the middleweight division for a matchup between Chris, the action man Curtis, and Hadolfo, the black belt hunter Vieira. Curtis, the 34-year-old career journeyman, and I don't mean that in any way as a bad thing, but who just has come out of nowhere to take the UFC by storm, is 28-8 and eight overall. He is 2-0 and oh since joining the UFC last fall, uh, knocked out Phil Hawes in his debut at UFC 268, Turned things around four weeks later and knocked out Brendan Allen at UFC on ESPN Font versus Aldo. Uh, he is going to try to make it three straight here uh, against Vieira, the 32-year-old uh, Brazilian, uh, one of the most decorated grapplers you will ever see crossing over to MMA in earnest. I mean, we're talking about an Abu Dhabi champ, a five-time Mundial's gold medalist, just one of the greatest grapplers of all time. Uh, he is eight and one. He is three and one in the UFC. All three of his wins have by, been by submission, as was his his lone loss. That one loss, of course, last February at UFC 258, gassed out horribly and uh, got tapped out by Anthony Hernandez in one of the more shocking outcomes in modern uh, UFC history. But you know, came back from that and tapped out Dustin Stoltzfus uh, last July uh, in the third round to get things back on track. And he's going to keep uh, trying to keep going against uh, Curtis. He is not favored to do so. The action man, Chris Curtis, minus 155 as the moderate favorite as of the beginning of fight week. Vieira plus 135 on the comeback. Keith, I was a little surprised by the odds here. It's not that Chris okay. Curtis has a bad uh ground game like he's not a he's yeah. not a jump on the ground he's a well-rounded fighter who yeah. just happens to be a dynamic knockout artist but chris curtis is going to be badly outsized by Rodolfo vieira who is a hulking dude for 185 and vieira he is one of the greatest grapplers ever uh certainly in his weight category it is absolutely transferred across to uh to mma you know he's He's been a lockdown grappler in MMA. Yeah. You know, he debuted in the UFC. His first two UFC wins were arm triangle choke submissions of Oscar Piahota and Saperbeck Safarov. And Safarov, in particular, is not a chump on the ground. And Vieira just made it look like he was doing... I mean, he made it look like he, he was just, like, folding laundry with the person still inside <laughs> them. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the misstep against Anthony Hernandez, obviously, he came in at one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year all the spotlight was on him he came in just too much steam gassed out and yeah and, and we saw what happened i think of that as the outlier okay i don't think like i'm not saying he's going to be able to run all the way up the 185 pound rankings and turn everybody into origami but i i think if he and anthony hernandez run it back 
he fights a more patient game plan and he handles Anthony Hernandez. Yes, like I, I think right. that I think that was just something that needed to happen to Vieto once. I'm interested here to see if he can get Curtis to the ground. You know, because uh, Vieta is he's not one of your like '90s jujitsu guys in MMA. Like he's a big, strong guy. He's very athletic. He has uh, like good entries. He has, uh, you know, he has ways to get the fight to the ground in an MMA contest. I'm interested to see if he can do it to Curtis, uh, and if he doesn't have success early on, like if he's having trouble getting him to the ground in the first round, who's getting more tired from those attempts? You know, yeah. like, does, does it turn into things where Curtis is just wide-legging against the fence and Vieta's bent at the waist, just, like, hauling on him with all his might for half a round and he's gassed out? Or is it things where he's getting Curtis down and Curtis is having to scramble for his life while Vieta is burning less energy? Again, you know, Curtis is the, the favorite here, and with his arsenal of, you know, fun techniques, just his quick twitch athleticism his power in both his hands and his kicks he can put Vieta's lights out at any time but I was surprised to see that he is the favorite here uh I may feel silly about this pick after about half a round especially if Vieta's already been knocked out by then but yeah. I'd like Vieta to be able to get things done here give me Rodolfo Vieta to be able to get Curtis to the ground in the first round and in the first round with both these guys fresh, both these guys dry with him with like some time to work, I think he taps him out in the first round. I think uh, Curtis sticks around for a while. He's going to be a highlight machine in this division. But th I think this is Rodolfo Vieira's night. Give me the underdog by first round submission. Yeah, uh, this is a really tough one. This is the one I had the hardest time making a prediction on the entire card because to me, when the fight ends, like there's going to be so many answers. You know, if if Chris Curtis wins again and he beats Adolfo Vera, like this isn't journeyman who got kind of nice fluky start to the UFC. Like that's three really huge wins in a row. Adolfo Vera, in that sense, it'd be like, well, now he's four and one in the UFC. And yeah, the Anthony Hernandez fight was a fluke. He just got his best win beating Chris Curtis. Uh, really, I'm really intrigued by this matchup. Uh, Curtis. I like how you described me like a journeyman. Like he's a UFC newcomer, but he has so much experience uh, fighting in every scene, seemed like every region, held titles in like every uh, top, uh, you know, regional promotion. And he's looked sensational so far in the UFC. The dude starts Brendan Allen and Phil Hawes, like two yep. of the best like guys, rising stars, you know, guys on the outside <laughs> of the top 10, kind of rising up the rankings. Well, and he starts. Well, would it be fair to say, I mean, if he beats Hawes, Allen, and now Vieta, that's three guys that are probably in that 11 to 20 range. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have we have Chris Curtis in our in our shirt our yeah. rankings, last time I checked. Mm -hmm. uh, those are huge wins. It, you mentioned he's a bit undersized. He's a former welterweight that's now fighting yeah. at 185. But the power is there, which is funny because that was never Chris Curtis's game. Like he could, I would say he had power, but he wasn't like a hit you one time, put you out kind of guy. Yeah. And now he is. And he's tech. He's always been like kind of like a technically sound, compact, tight southpaw boxer. Uh, good in the pocket. He throws these like tight hooks. He loves uppercuts. He loves to work the body. Uh, but yeah, you got to say the power's there now. Uh, he throws good calf kicks. Doesn't he? Still doesn't throw enough calf kicks for my liking. Um, he still needs to improve his footwork a little bit. Specifically, he needs to learn how to pivot a little bit when being pressured. He. 
He also pillars, which uh, I think will get him starched someday. Not this fight, but it will get him starched. But he does, like, he pills and rolls, so he kind of deflects some of the power because of that. He doesn't get hurt often because of that. He has been gun-shy in the past, but I I, I think that might be uh, a a thing of the past because he has so much confidence around him right now that I, I think it's gone. Uh, he's an okay offensive wrestler. He really won't look to wrestle, but when he, if he gets a takedown, he's got some pretty good top control, decent takedown uh, to takedown defense, and he's fought five rounds in the past, so going hard three rounds shouldn't be an issue. Vera, he likes to battle more on the feet than than he, I think he should, but he hits hard. Uh, I mean, look at him. The guy's built like freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger, but uh, and I'm talking about like terminating Arnold Schwarzenegger, not not the current. Current, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, even even the current one's like more jacked than me, but yeah, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same, same. Uh, he lands more than you'd expect, and I think that's because of the opponents being so wary of his takedowns. But he does lack head movement. He gets hit a lot. Um, he showed that he has a pretty good chin. I mean, Sp- Safarov landed some decent shots on him. Anthony Hernandez landed some big shots on him. I think he had a little bit of that like Mark Madsen thing going where he lands more because everyone's expecting takedowns from him. Mm-hmm. But he's a really good wrestler. Fast entries. He drives through the hips. Explosive. Extremely elite, elite grappling. I mean, you talked about – you said all the accolades. Seven-time World Cup champ. Five-time world champion. Abu Dhabi. All, all of them. All yep. of them. Uh I've compared him to Bass. I, I still think this is the best comparison when I look at his style. He reminds me of Hikaru Rona. Now, a lot of people, like 50% of listeners just said, who? Ten. Look at Hikaru Rona. He's one of the best grapplers in, in MMA history, one of the best grapplers in BJJ history. Uh, he has gas on the pass, which is a massive issue against a guy like Chris Curtis. I have flip-flopped on this one. If I knew Vieira would shoot immediately, I would feel much more confident in picking him. I think he'll have his moments. I think Curtis is going to hit some, hit him and, and, and could put him out. But I think – all right, I'll, I'll pull back the curtain. I wrote Chris Curtis by second round knockout. I picked Chris Curtis, and then I just kept thinking. I'm like, no, would you have – a year ago, would you have taken Chris Curtis over Hidalfo Vera? And I'd be like, no, absolutely not. I would have taken Hidalfo Vera to submit him in the very first round. And I'm like, is the two wins over Hawes and – over Brendan Allen, is that going to change what you've thought of Chris Curtis after you've seen him so many times in the past? <sighs> I'm so torn. But I actually think the knockouts for Curtis could actually hurt his chances in this fight. And what I mean by that is Vera's seen him starch his last two opponents. And Vera can't possibly say, I'm a better striker than Brendan Allen. Or, I'm a be- I definitely can't say I'm a better striker than Phil Hawes. So I think he's going to want to get this fight to the ground. I think he does. I think he gets gets enough takedowns. And I'm gonna say he finds a submission late in the second round. Give me uh I'll flip my pick. I'm gonna go I'll go with the upset too. And I'll go hood the Dolph Vero by second round submission. There you go. Two picks, though with not a ton of confidence for Hadolfo Vieira by submission. The UFC on ESPN 38 card powers on in the Bantamweight division with a matchup between Nate Manus and Umar Nurmagomedov. Manus, the 30-year-old Kentucky native, is 14-1 overall. He is 3-0 in the UFC, uh, has beaten Johnny Munoz, Luke Sanders, and Tony Gravely, uh, all within the space of oh, about the past 20 months or so. His most recent outing, though, uh, last September, 
knocked out gravely in the second round. He will be taking on Nurmagomedov. The 26-year-old Dagestani is a perfect 14-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He's 2-0 in the UFC. Uh, he beat Morozov, who uh, fights earlier on this card, by second-round submission last January. Uh, came back this March and uh, choked out Brian Kelleher, who also appears earlier on this card. Odds on this one. Keith mentioned off the top that there are a lot of close lines on this card. This is not one of them. Uh, the the best you can get Nurmagomedov right now is minus 800. You can get Manus around plus 550 or plus 600 if you choose your book correctly. Keith, I'm going to ask you a question before I ask you for your pick okay. on this fight. I'm going to ask Nate you a Man question too. Nate Manus is 14-1. and one. Umar Nurmagomedov is 14-0. If you were to switch their records, so Manus is 14-0, Nurmagomedov is 14-1. Oh, and by the way, Umar Nurmagomedov's last name is something else. What's the line? Okay. His last name's Smith. Yeah, Umar Smith from Dagestan. Uh, Omar Smith. He's still from Dagestan, though. Yeah, he's still, okay, from, Dagestan. So he's still from Dagestan. So that gives he's still him from Dagestan. Of... He still is a literal cousin of Khabib Nurmagomedov. Okay. He's still an Eagles... <laughs> Fight Club guy, okay. but just literally, you take away the zero in the last name. Yeah, what's 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 the the line? Uh, on this Umar Smith is still negative two hundred. Yeah, he's around negative two hundred, not negative yeah. eight hundred, or yeah. what, like nine fifty on some cards. Yeah, you know, there there are two things that will drive hype on you straight through the ceiling. That's having a zero in the loss column. We talk about that almost every week. Uh, and then there is having Nurmagomedov as your last name. It's yeah. why all those guys they say, "Oh, this, you know, this is this is Khabib's cousin. This is Khabib's, you know, like yeah, nephew." Yeah. It's like, well, of course you're in, you're in a country of five million people with three last names. They're all his fucking cousin. It's like it's like it's like it's like when Vito Belfort was trying to become Vito Gracie. Victor Gracie. <laughs> yeah, Victor. Victor. Yeah, I'm sorry. Victor. Victor not Gracie. Vito. Yeah, Victor yeah. Gracie. Yeah. The, the best thing about that was he he run into the ring, punched some guy 300 times in 18 seconds, <laughs> and then carry him out yelling Jiu Jitsu. Jiu Jitsu. Jiu -jitsu. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Vitor. Yeah. 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 So, Hedzo Gracie. Uh, up kicks uh, Oleg Tektarov, knocks him out, and then jumps up and says jujitsu. Jujitsu, jujitsu, yeah. Um, my question to you: You said the the best betting line is negative eight hundred. Yep. What's the worst? Do you have? Uh, it? I saw him at minus nine fifty. Like yeah. I didn't see him at quite. What if he broke a thousand? Yeah. He hadn't quite broke a thousand. He will this week. The, I, the line I, will keep going that way. I, I can't imagine. Do you think there's anybody who bets a thousand dollars to win a hundred? No, they throw them in a parlay as like a safe bet with a couple. I just don't of get it because you don't get anything when you throw these in the parlays. You turn yeah. your 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 yeah, you throw a hundred dollars and you win two hundred, and you throw in that extra fight, and it's like all right, you win two hundred and ten dollars, cool. Yeah, I, I don't get it either, unless you're like a weirdo that like parlays all the favorites or something. Yeah, like, yeah I just know how to do it. Yeah, um, that's just a that's a do not touch. Basically, I got one more question for you. Yeah, Nate Manis called out Adrian Giannis. What is bigger balls? Calling out Adrianus or, or actually accepted a fight against Demar Radoff. That's that's saying a lot, dude. Because there's I, there's no upside to taking a fight with Nurmagomedov. Because oh, I mean, not, not 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 that well, yeah. But you're not. You're going to lose, and you're going to look terrible while you do it. So you're already, you're telling me you're not taking. You're not you're not betting against a negative eight hundred something favorite. All I know is Nate Manis may well be a top 15 Bantamweight on talent. 
Like he's a really good fighter. Oh, I'm not. I, I, I disagree with that. At oh, okay. Bantamweight's a crowded division. Like yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying he actually hits the top fifteen, but I'm like I'm at least saying he absolutely belongs in the UFC. Okay. He's a good fighter. Yeah, 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 I'll give you that. Uh, I think he. Get, I think he's getting mauled here. So when I when I guessed at like the line, I knew Nurmagomedov was going to be a huge favorite. I was guessing negative four hundred, negative eight hundred. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Nurmagomedov is I mean, he's really good. He's well rounded. He's very athletic. He's very comfortable on his feet for Nurmagomedov. He's got good footwork. He's light on his feet. He fight. He can fight at both stances. In boxing, I would say is serviceable. But it's his taekwondo karate style uh, to his strike and throws tons of kicks, karate like kicks, uh, turns over his hips so easy, and his wrestling is off the charts. I mean, he's last name is Demarcus He's light and fast entries, smothering top control, cuts gets in the gets in his opponent's hips, cuts the corner so quickly uh, on top, cuts through his opponent's guard so easily. Strong, brutal ground and pound. He's got seven submission wins. Um, he looks so complete. On the ground. I mean, look what he just did to Brian Keller. He made Brian Keller, who's a good fighter. We already talked about him, look like an amateur on the ground. Now, Manus, you're much higher on him than I am. Like, I think he's got he's I think he's got like areas that are really good and areas that are really bad. Um, he's a high output striker. He kind of willing to eat one to land one kind of style. He can take a beat and keep moving forward, but he's very hittable, lacks head movement. Uh, he does have good pressure. Uh, he's got good power. He's a huge battleway. He's a big dude. Um, but he, if you can kind of reverse this, this, the pressure, kind of force him fighting off his back foot, he doesn't like pressure. He doesn't like being pressured. He's open to leg kicks. Luke Sanders has some good success with the leg kicks. He will wrestle, and I'd say he's a good grappler. He's got he has a submission. He's got three submission wins. But Manus is a brute. He really is. He's physically imposing. But Namaga Madoff is light years ahead of him in skills. I think he throws tons of kicks on the outside. I think when Manus starts the pressure in, I think that sets up to him walking straight into a Namaga Madoff double leg takedown. Once hits the ground, I think Umar just does what he does. Ground and pounds him until a submission finds him finds an opening. He locks into submission. Give me Namaga Madoff by second round submission. Now I said before the show that I do the survivor pool and I have like one confident pick. Well, I didn't really go ballsy. I went with a negative 800 favorite as my survivor pick, which I'm sure everybody's doing. Uh, what uh, method and round of vic- victory did you have for this second, one? Second round submission. All right. Uh, now, having said everything I said, where you know I, I think Manus is a good fighter, and I think he's going to stick around the Bantamweight division. Uh, I'm I'm with you. Nurmagomedov is better than him literally everywhere, and he's particularly better than him in ways that don't make me feel good about Manus's chances to make it to the final horn. Like, honestly, again, we are not a betting podcast. Uh, Sherdog has, has several, you should listen to them if you're interested, but if I were to touch anything here, you might as well take the prop for in the distance because like, unless Nurmagomedov chooses to play with his food, I think he's going to be able to do whatever he wants to, to Manus within the first round and a half of this fight. Uh, to keep it a little different from Keith, I'm going to say he gets it done in the first round, but the mechanic is going to be the same. Uh, he will take it to the ground when he gets tired of playing the kicking game, and from there, I think he'll advance position quickly, soften him up with ground and pound, and either pound him out or choke him out. I will say first round TKO in the ground. Yeah, and to add to that inside the distant pick, 
like Manis is his only chance is kind of catching him with a big shot, right? Yeah. Let me ask you before we move on. Better prospect at 135, Namagamadoff or Giannis? It pains me to say it, but a big, like head to head, I would take Namagamadoff just because Giannis's uh, defensive wrestling and ground game are still his most untested skill set. And that's yeah. that's not a place to play with Nurmagomedov. Yeah, I agree. Now, I mean, if Nurmagomedov decided to like try out his kicking game against Yanez, could he get pelted a bunch? And well, absolutely he could. But if Nurmagomedov plays it smart, I, I think he's got that, even though uh, I love Adrian Yanez. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. And I would say the same thing about Nurmagomedov versus uh, Sean O'Malley. You know, like Nurmagomedov's not going to mess with that. He'll take him down and, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> think about those three guys as prospects rising. That's a fucking great division. It is. I mean, name. like, they're they're all 26, 26, and 27, I think. Yeah, what a great yeah, division. Yeah, like, Jan is a 27, and he's the old one. What a division. Seriously. I mean, you got Aljamain Sterling. You got... Petrion, you got Henry Cejudo coming back. You got Dominic Cruz still hanging on. You got Jose Aldo. You got the name values. Frankie Edgar. You TJ Dillashaw is like back up. They have guys like Corey Sang hanging. Marlon Chito Vera. Like, what a division. And then you get these prospects we're talking about. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple guys. Dude, Marab is just hanging out here like what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about him? Like, Marab's <laughs> like, I'm the one nobody wants to fucking fight. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, imagine that matchup, Marab. The UFC on ESPN 38 main card soldiers on with a matchup in the lightweight division. It's Tiago Moises versus Christos Yagos. Moises, the 27-year-old Brazilian, is 15 and 6 overall. He is 4 and 4 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, he's on a two-fight losing streak, but those two have come against Islam Makachev, your, you know, who might be your champ. By the end of this year, and uh, Joel Alvarez, who is, you know, one of the bigger prospects in the division, literally and figuratively, he is going to try to get things back on track against Yagos. The 32-year-old Californian is 19-9 and overall. He is 5-5 five and five in the UFC across two separate stints with the promotion. On this most recent uh, signing, he is 4-3. and three. He did lose his last time out. It was a Quick first round TKO loss to Armin Sarukian, who tops this card. That snapped the momentum of a two fight win streak over Sean Soriano and Carlton Minus. Moises is a pretty comfortable favorite here. He's minus 240. Yagos plus 200 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, for a guy that's only 27 years old, and really, I mean, he only turned 27 a couple months ago, Tiago Moises has been on a bit of a roller coaster ride in the UFC in terms of how we perceive him. Because he came out of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil, immediately immediately lost a pretty one-sided fight to Benil Dariush, but he strung together a three-fight win streak that, I mean, it propelled him into, if not the Sherdog top 10, at least into the top 15. I know he was definitely yeah. on our bubble list, and if he was in our top 15, I'm sure he was in the UFC's top 10 because, you know, mm-hmm. they only rank their own fighters. Uh and now he's just come tumbling back down. I I feel as though he was probably overranked when he beat Johnson, Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, and Alexander Hernandez. And he already I, lost to Bobby Green. 
Yeah, too. arguably lost to Bobby Green, was getting pelted by Michael Johnson and got right. a flash submission yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, and then right. and then beat, did beat Alexander Hernandez. But Wasn't that Hernandez, like a terrible fight, the Fernandez, Hernandez fight? Yeah, yeah, because it was terrible. Yeah, it was after Hernandez turned into the guy that just has terrible fights every time out. But that all pushed him into the top 10. And I think that was a little too much too soon. I mean, he was, he was 25 at the time he beat Hernandez. Yeah. That was too early for this guy to run into the Islam Makachevs of the world. It's, it's not even as though he's a bust because again, he's 27. Four years from now, he could be in the top 10 and maybe approaching the title uh, picture like after just having re- like continued to develop his skills. Like he, he's in no wise a finished product here. But think about the champion in the division. Perfect example. Champion in the division was a guy that did not seem to have title upside at all until yeah. he did. So he was a screen of, he was screaming at the TV guy. He really was. He was yeah. He was absolutely. He was. Sometimes you scream at the TV on weigh-ins day. Didn't even have to get to the cage. You're like, "What the hell are you doing?" That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, and, and, and while and fans were still doing that with him. Yeah. No. Apparently, yeah. we still are. Yeah. Like, oh my, my goodness. But you, if you take a little bit of detachment and just okay, what has he done? Let's not go on the assumption that he's a top ten guy who's just on a rough skid, or he's not just a borderline roster guy who got lucky. Just look at what he's done. He's lost to Islam Makachev, Demir Ismagulov, and Benil Dariush. All top five quality guys. He's lost to Joel Alvarez, who, Who's I mean, he's he's very good. The only question is whether his giant ass is going to continue to keep making 155. But he has, I mean, honestly, he's in the same position Moises was a year or two ago. Like, yeah, he just seems absolutely. to have all the upside in the world. And the guys he's beaten, Hernandez, Green, Johnson, Kurt Hollabot, none of them are bad fighters. I mean, they're inconsistent yeah. fighters, but yeah, I was gonna say Hollabot and Johnson, uh, like, yeah, but yeah, Hernandez is okay. We, Bobby Green is, has, was on a nice little run, yeah. Because of that, I think this Christos Yagos fight is actually a perfect test of where he is right now. If he's the yeah, guy, I agree. He, is, he handles Christos Yagos. If he loses, okay, it's time to stop talking about him as even a fringe contender for the time being. Or even if he really, really struggles with him. If it's another Hernandez fight where just not a whole lot happens. Yeah, uh, I agree. Because Yagos, on the other hand, is very much a known quantity. Like, he's he's not meant to go in there with your Armand Sarukians, your Charles Oliveras. Even the 2018 <laughs> Charles Oliveira, was, that was not. But, you know, if you need someone to get the Sean Sorianos and Carlton Minuses of the world off your roster, you need someone to just kind of <laughs> sweep him out, hand Chris Dos Yagos that broom. Hold on a second. Did he go from Sarukin to Soriano? Was that the No, it was he he lost to Jakar Close, then he beat Carlton Minus. Okay. Alaska okay. Alaska's finest. Sean Soriano. So the the, the biggest <laughs> Rhode Island's finest. The states. Yeah. yeah, like and yeah. then from there into Armand Sarukian. He went from Sean Soriano to Armand Sarukian. I mean Holy Christ. I'm surprised I'm surprised he didn't have whiplash when he got into the cage just from like the, the yeah. speed. <laughs> That's like that that'd be like playing like football for the East Providence Townies and then your next oh you had three touchdowns guess what Monday night New England Patriots you're playing the Dolphins Monday night no. <laughs> like what the hell uh <clears throat> because unlike Moises where I'm like okay we need to figure out now 
we've we've stepped on the gas, we've pounded the brakes. Let's figure out what Tiago Moises really is. I feel as though uh, Christos Yagos is much more of a known quantity. Yeah. You know, he's a guy who's solid everywhere, not an easy out unless you're Armand Sarukian level fighter. Uh, like a physically, he's physically big, just strong, yoked guy. Yeah. He looks like he should be a better athlete than he is. I actually don't think he's like a super fast twitch freak. Um, I think of him as more of just like a, a muscle grindy no, type guy. I think he's a pretty good athlete. You're talking about Yagos. I'm talking about Yagos. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a good athlete. Actually, the answer. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. We might disagree. I think I think he's a good athlete. He is. He is a big yoky he's dude. A, you know. Uh, I love his, you know, I, I I love his hair game. He he is the answer to what would it look like if a, a white guy went to Lorenz Larkin's barber? You know, just always got some cool like shit like carved and faded in, you know, or got some great yeah. cornrows. Uh, okay. <laughs> Lorenz but, Larkin's barber. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to Lorenz Larkin's barber. Dude, I I I I think Lorenz Larkin is great, and his hair game is always on point. Let's find but, out who his barber's name is. I'm probably fine. I think I still got his phone number from when I interviewed him for Bellator. Like, yo, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'd, man think I was, need, he'd think I was I, asking for myself and not want to tell me. Yeah, I need, I need a new high and tight. What can I get? <laughs> who's, who's your go-to? I, I need a high and gray. Who do I? Oh. There you go. <laughs> uh, I think we found out about Moises that his stand-up game still needs some work. Like, even even oh, pretty good cool. MMA strikers are, are at this point giving him uh, trouble. Uh, and you know, good grappler, opportunistic grappler, obviously, oh, yeah. but he does not always have the wrestling to determine where the fight goes. That was a problem against Johnson, who were, I mean, he just got pieced up for a whole round and then kind of slid, scrambled into uh, <laughs> Achilles lock in the second round. It was a problem against... <laughs> Michael but, Johnson's entire career could be summed up in that one fight. <laughs> that that re really, it that's... Yep. Looking like looking like the best fighter in the world only to get submitted like a minute later. Yep. Uh yeah, he's a whole different kind of scream at the TV fighter than like John yeah. Dodson. Dodson, you're just screaming at him to do something. John, yeah. you're screaming at him, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> two different two different things. Yeah. Uh but you know, Makachev grounded him with ease at will, which of course Makachev's gonna do that, but in the Hernandez fight, like he couldn't get the fight to the ground when he wanted it to. Uh, and that's and uh, even though he won the uh, the fight, I still think he's going to have enough to get Yagos out of here. Um, give me Moises to be able to get this uh, fight to the ground uh, against Yagos. He might have to learn the hard way. He might get pieced up a little bit, but give me Moises by third round submission in a fight that's probably harder than it should be for a guy of his raw skills. Yeah, and just to build up the point about Russian Moises, besides having to fight Islam Rakhchev, that also headlined a UFC card when he yeah. was 25 years old. So, uh, yeah, talking about adding pressure to him. Uh, yeah, uh, Moises on the feet. He's a he's a boxer who he tends to keep everything tight, uh, but he has low output single strike attacks. And it's pretty unfortunate because I think his hands are pretty fast. I actually think he is a pretty good athlete in that sense. I think he has some like raw power. Uh, I think you mentioned that. He throws throws tons of kicks. He's got some good kicks everywhere. And I think it's some of the reason why he throws a lot of kicks is he doesn't care if you grab his leg and try to take him out. That's where he wants to go, anyways. Uh he mixes he mixes up his striking uh to set up his takedowns. 
he's an above average wrestler, but he kind of struggles to kind of get to the second level of the entry. And that's someone who does jujitsu. It doesn't come from a wrestling background, uh, you know, driving through hips and stuff. That's not something uh, jujitsu guys really do. He'll often just shoot to kind of close the distance. And then from there, he'll just like pull his opponent down on top of himself. Like he'll pull guard. Uh, he's your, he's a very good BJJ practitioner. He's got six submission wins. Um, he will go down to an ankle. Like you mentioned, he caught Michael Johnson with it. He almost caught Bobby Green in their fight. Uh, Jagos, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think he's a better athlete than, than you're saying. High output. Uh, he can fight at both stances. He loves like a high draining explosive strikes. The ones that like drain your cardio. Uh, he tries to take his opponent's head off with every single strike. He'll often overthrow shots and kind of load up on everything, and he fights at a crazy wild pace. Uh, he will wrestle, and if he gets on top, like you mentioned, he's a big dude, uh, and he's strong, so you can kind of ground and pound. He's a pretty good BJJ, BJJ practitioner, uh, some some decent back takes. Um, but because of that style and because of – and you mentioned how big he is, how much he, like how much muscle he gets, he can fade late. Uh, I'm with you. I'm going with, with Moises. Uh, Diego throws these wild shots. And because he throws these wild shots, I really think he get, gives Moises a chance to kind of catch him off balance, to just close the distance, even if it's just to close the distance and then kind of like roll underneath, um, pull guard or to Imanari roll or something. I expect Moises to work a heavy top pressure game. Diego's has has four submission losses, so that's not really good. Yeah, he. I mean, one of them was to Charles Oliveira. Um, but... Uh, I like Moises to get something late, especially when uh, Diagos kind of gasses out a little bit. Give me Moises by third round submission. And and one thing I want to say, you mentioned how young Moises is, twenty seven. Like, don't give up on him yet. Like, he's only twenty seven. Yeah, like he can make just a huge jump in improvement since his last fight. Absolutely, and he's going to need to because he got his ass handed to him by Joel <laughs> Alvarez. Yeah, well. And if anything, I'll just say this because we've already talked a good while about about him, but. Now that we've seen him against Makachev and seen him against Alvarez, if anything, he'll get the time to develop because there's no reason to rush him back. You oh, know what I mean? Cool. He's yeah. going to have to string together three or four wins before they even talk about putting him up against another fringe top 15 yeah. guy. Yeah, he'd be Chagos. His next fight after that should be like a Jim Miller. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to give him a name, give him Donald Cerrone. Next up on the UFC Vegas 57 main card is the obligatory heavyweight slobber knocker. It is Josh Parisian versus Alan Baudot. Josh Parisian, the 32-year-old Michigan native, is 14-5 and five overall. He is 1-2 in the UFC uh, since joining out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He has lost to Parker Porter and Dante Mays. Those two sandwiched around a win over Roque Martinez. Uh, the most recent of those, the Mays fight, was last December, and Keith is already laughing. Uh, oh, my God. You could have been better off saying Paul Monatello and Jeff Munson or whatever. This, like, I, what's, what's Mike Kyle doing nowadays? Oh, my goodness. I, I probably sorry. don't want to know. I'm, I'm, and I'm, you, as I'm, a law enforcement I'm, officer, probably don't want to know. What's yeah, Mike sorry, I'm, right I'm sorry I'm messing up your intro. I, dude, this intro, it, it, it was messed up the moment I opened my mouth because this fight is messed up. Uh, <laughs> he's going to try to get things uh, back on track against Baudot. The 34-year-old Frenchman is 8-3 and three with one no contest overall. He is 0-2 with one no contest since joining the UFC in late 2020. Worth noting that that one no contest was him getting punched out by Rodrigo Nascimento. So 
I mean, unless you don't think Nascimento would have been able to do that without Ritalin, which is what he tested positive for, Bodo is effectively 0-3 in the UFC with uh, two finishes and a decision lost to, to Parker Porter. Odds on this one, fittingly, are dead even. They're both minus 110 right now, so it, it's a pick em. Yeah. I understand that the UFC wants heavyweights, and it does need it needs heavyweights. Whether the UFC is right or not about the <laughs> idea that, oh, casuals love the big guys, they, they do need, need the a right division. Heavyweights. Yeah, well, because, I mean, the UFC has uh, seven or eight good heavyweights, and they need some people for those heavyweights to fight, and they need to find the next seven or eight heavyweights. So I understand why we need kind of low to mid-level heavyweight fights. We need them to sort out who is going to be decent versus who is not, or some bodies to feed the Tom Aspinalls of the world so he's not fighting Francis Ngannou in his fifth professional fight or something. But man, this one, there, there's just not much sizzle here. Uh, both... <laughs> Have you seen the Ultimate Fighter? Yeah, I've seen the Ultimate Fighter. Oh, yeah, Fighter the first. replacements that are coming in. <laughs> not much, not better. <laughs> Chandler oh. Cole. And oh, yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, jo- Josh Parisian is uh, a, he's a real heavyweight. Like he's a, a legit big bodied guy who's probably going to weigh in, you know, between 250 and 260. And he's not particularly fat. He's an average athlete for a heavyweight. And he's a brawler who punches hard. I mean, he made he made headlines on the second se- season of Dana White's Contender Series because he knocked out Greg Rebello with a spinning back fist, which looked fantastic. The thing, funny thing was he had tried like three spinning back fists in that fight, and just the, the last one finally knocked him out. The most yeah, impressive it thing wasn't, about it wasn't Hikaru Hamos setups. It was not Hikaru Hamos, <laughs> but. The most impressive thing about the whole thing was that he tried three spinning back fists without his trunks falling off because that was the season that Dana White's Contender Series, I guess they were just using like like rejects from the UFC fight kits or something, but all the heavyweights had these like one size fits most like Velcro shorts that were always falling off of these dudes. That's what I remember most about that. Uh, you know, Parisian, he's worse than Parker Porter, and he's better than Roque Martinez. That is a recipe for a guy that's going to hang around the fringe of the UFC heavyweight roster for probably a couple more years. The thing about Bodo... That's the standard, Pete, better than Roque Martinez. Jesus Christ. I mean, he didn't didn't get... I'm I'm sorry. I can't even hide that. My interest. I mean, Alan Bodo would not still be in the UFC if he weren't a teammate of Francis Ngannou. It's as simple as that. Because he's had three fights in the UFC... Uh, you can forgive him for getting flattened by Tom Aspinall. That was a sacrificial lamb moment. Tom oh, Aspinall is yeah. probably a future champ. But yeah, Rodrigo Nascimento, like, thrashed him. Parker Porter handled him easily. And Parker Porter handled him easily on the feet, and Bodo is supposedly a kickboxer. Uh, Bodo <laughs> used, yeah. used to fight at uh, light heavyweight. I don't know if that's realistic anymore. He's weighing in around 260 for all of his fights these days. And I don't even know if moving back to light heavyweight would would serve him at this point, but, but oh, he's, I, he's got, he's got long reach, throws pretty straight punches. He throws leg kicks. I think, but I think Parisian's just going to smash him. I, I think Parisian might even turn to, to wrestling and take yeah. him down. 
He's proven to be hapless on the ground, but even if it just turns into a brawl on the feet, I like Parisian better in a brawl here. Bodeau has shown <laughs> next to nothing to show that he is a UFC-level heavyweight. So give me Josh Parisian by second-round TKO. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So we're talking about heavyweights, and if the UFC just, like, strolled down Venice Beach with, like, the muscle beaches, where they got, or it's Venice Beach, right, where yeah. they do the like, yeah. X, and you just found two pulking Mr. Olympia-type guys. And just like, hey, you guys ever fought MMA? No, never heard of MMA. Wouldn't you be more interested in the UFC just throw those two guys? Yep. On the card yeah. and just have, or, or, or you know, yeah, like you grab the like the strongman, the guy who's doing the strongman competition, and then hey, you uh, might have and, the next, you might have the next uh, Marius Pujanovsky. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Dude, <laughs> Marius Pujanovsky would tool dude. either of these guys. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, honestly, like we made jokes about him when he first started in UFC. I mean, he turned into a decent anime. fighter. And now he's he's on a nice little run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sitting there thinking of just obscure heavyweights as as you've been talking. It, would you? I want to make a point. Wouldn't you be more interested in if we replaced? All right, you said uh, Parisian would destroy uh, Bodo. Take him out and pull up 54 year old. Hasn't won a fight since 2005. He's won one of his last six fights. If the UFC found Chemo Leopoldo <laughs> and just threw him in this fight, would you be more interested? Yes. Not in the, not in the skill sense, because like I, I think Alan Bodeau would beat 54-year-old Chemo yeah. Leopoldo, but just for the hell of it. Absolutely. Like There'd be more interest on my part. Uh, more just morbid curiosity. I'd want to know if yeah. Chemo can still tote that giant cross like all the way <laughs> to the cage. I mean, they're they're in bigger venues now. He has to walk quite away with it. And I know it had a little wheel on on the bottom end, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so he wasn't just dragging it. But that thing looked heavy. What, what about the guy? Uh, uh, what was his name? The manager who got he, he was his manager, his teammate. He also got nailed in the nuts by Keith Hackney like a million times. Murdered somebody. What he was Joe Son. Joe Son. Is he still alive? I think he's alive in in yeah, prison. He like alive, he murdered right? someone else in prison, so he's he's never he getting out. He's got he like someone, yeah, he raped a girl, went to prison, and then murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the worst people ever to pass through MMA. Yeah, but then yeah. you like like the the training video, like the 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 promo video would be like Joe Son talking from his jail cell to chemo. <laughs> like, um. Anyways. I don't know. I just don't, I just don't want to talk about this fight. Like, does anybody really care what I have to say about this fight? It's like, why is when I was a kid, I used to. You ever had like chores as a kid? Like, my I was in like third grade, and like before I could go out and play with my friends, my like mom had like me and my two sisters. We had like a checklist, and there was maybe like nine chores. And we all had to do like three each, but every day she like mixing them up. Who had to do what? Yeah, and I remember I used to always like like mine. Mine was like uh, put away the dishes. It was easy. I was like third grade but mm-hmm. uh, put away the dishes uh put your clothes in the laundry and uh do the windows I'm like oh fuck not the windows like i always did it first like let me just get over with i don't want to think about it while i'm doing the other chores let me just that's how yeah. i feel like anyway like if you're gonna do it just do it right away like give us the shit thing right away like don't make us don't make us get like all juiced up from like moises and and um yeah, Jarrett having this like great fight and then throwing this at us and, next. And and we're thinking of Neil Magny versus Shavkat Rockman oh, after yeah. this. And you're throwing this one. Um, Josh 
You know what? I'm not even breaking down because honestly, you broke them down enough. This skills. I have zero confidence in this fight. I am 100% convinced that Josh Breeden is bad. I'm only 99% convinced that Bordeaux is bad just because I've seen less of him. So screw it. I'll take Bordeaux in the ugliest decision ever. All right. There you go. We have some high level disagreements in this high level <laughs> fight, three, third from the top at UFC Vegas 57. I was just going to take whoever you did. <laughs> no. See, Keith is just being contrarian. That brings us to the co main event of UFC on ESPN 38, a, say, contender versus prospect matchup in the welterweight division, as it is Neil Magny welcoming Shabkat Rachmanov to the big time. Magny, the 34 year old uh, Haitian American Chicago native by way of New York, is 26 and 8 overall. He is 19 and 7 since uh, joining the UFC as uh, one of the standout products of the 16th season of The Ultimate Fighter. He has won two in a row. They were both decision wins. Uh, one was over Jeff Neal last May, then this past March. At UFC on ESPN, Blades versus Dawkins, he took a split decision over Max Griffin. He will be taking on Rachmanov. The 27-year-old from Kazakhstan is a perfect 15-0. He is a perfect 3-0 since joining the UFC as a former M1 welterweight champ. Uh, he has defeated Alex Oliveira, Michel Prezeres, and Carlston Harris. All three of them finishes within the first two rounds. The most recent of those, the Harris fight, uh, a spinning hook kick uh, and then some follow-up punches on the ground. Spectacular highlight reel knockout in the first round at UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Strickland. Rachmanov, one of the bigger favorites on the card. He is minus 400 to keep the good times going. Magni plus 310 as the, uh, as the underdog here. Keith, uh, we talk a lot about the kind of trio of undefeated up-and-comers in the UFC welterweight division. And I feel as though most people I talk to kind of have them in the same order. And no disrespect, but like Sean Brady on the lowest end is just the one who's probably going to come up against some sort of uh, ceiling or or take his first loss first. Hamzat Shemaev as the kind of obvious standout of the class as someone who's already beaten the top five fighter at this point. Mm -hmm. And then Rachmanov as probably the most unknown quantity right in the middle. I mean, yeah, I think if, that's fair. if Rachmanov comes out and just absolutely clowns on Neil Magny, does that, I mean, is there anything he could do here to move out of his position in, in that pecking order? Um, no, like it, it it has nothing to do with him. It's it's what who Shabayev is. Shabayev is is killing people. He beats the better fighter in, in Gilbert Burns, and it also has a lot to do with personality. Sure, where which it probably shouldn't be. If, I know you're you're asking strictly talent. I get that. Um, if if he goes out and starches Dale Magny, this guy's the limit for the guy because I I will go to my graves and Neil Magny is one of the most underrated fighters in the history of the UFC. Under I shouldn't say underrated, underappreciated. That's just, fair. Neil Magny's really good. He is and fun I mean, and smart, and it, I, I hate to think that. And and I get it. If I if I was a the president of the UFC, I'd be rooting for Rachmanov to beat Neil Magny. But I hate to think that there's people like rooting against Neil Magny. Especially the because guy, ult like, and ultimate nobody, fighter, like nobody ultimate wanted fighter. this fight. 
Yeah, he's a guy. He was a guy calling for Shamayev when nobody wanted to fight him, and he'll mm-hmm. fight him. But, yeah. You know, he's just that guy. Okay, so if Magny beats Rachmanov, obviously he's out of the, the little... And then he's third. Now he's number three. But but in, like, in a win, if he, has a, yeah. if he has a hard enough time in a win here, could could you see kind of in your mind moving Brady into that uh, yeah. second spot? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Brady struggled with... I mean, he, he struggled late with Michael Kessa. Like, right. not early. He was dominating Michael Kessa in the grappling of all things. Mm-hmm. But he kind of gassed out. He's a big, bulky, very large muscle guy. Kind of big first, really big fight. Kind of gassed a little bit. Sure. Um, but yeah, if in a win, I think I don't know if he falls behind Sean Brady, but he probably falls to the same tier. All right. You know, last like a, question before I. Okay, so you you've got that visualization in front of you. You got you know, Brady, Rachmanov, Shemaev. Drop Jack De La Madalena in there somewhere. He uh, has one loss, but he's one. Yeah, but I love it's guy. meaningless. He's won twelve in a row since, and he's knocking. Yeah, people out. I love that guy. I really do. It, the quality of wins for him is is like if Brady's number three, the quality of wins is behind Brady right now. So he has to be four. God, but God, I love that guy too. I love his style. I love his personality. I, I love everything about him. Agreed. All right, man. Team, I am gonna his team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man, it's... what a fucking good division this is, too. And it's you got getting... me swearing more than usual. That's how good the division is. It's it's gotten a breath of fresh air with kind yeah. of this Didn't which even it think needed. About it. Yeah. And it's probably somebody else we're not even thinking of. I'm sure. I'm sure there is. All right, man. Uh lay this one out for me. Uh, Rachmanov is a four to one favorite right now. Like, yeah, Neil Magny should fight be, play out. Neil Magny should have. What was the comeback of Neil Magny? Plus 310. Yeah. Neil Magny, sh- there's probably two or three guys in the like. I would, Usman should be a four to one favorite against Neil Magny. Sure. Leon Edwards is fighting for the title. Should Leon Edwards be a four to one favorite against Neil Magny? No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. Yeah. And like, I, if anything, I put Colby Covington at longer odds. On top of Neil Magny, just because of the style. But matchup. do you put do you put Kobe Covington at negative four hundred against Neil no, Magny? No, no, I don't. No, neither do I. That's my point. Like other than probably Usman, I don't yeah. put anybody that high because. Um, and, I mean, and that was not, that wasn't maybe, being maybe, shot. That wasn't being shot at Kobe. Honestly. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Shmaev, but that wasn't taking shots at Kobe. It wasn't taking shots at Leon. Those guys are fantastic. Like they're as good as they come. You know. Um, Hell in the in the Sherdog rankings, I've been the one who's been pumped. I've been one calling for Kobe to be on the rankings for pound for pound, like mm-hmm. you know, 14th, 15th kind of spot. Um, man, Neil Magny is he's one of these guys, he's just my kind of guy. You know, the kind of guys I like, the guys that are just overachievers. I just love these guys that tie guys you always count out. He fights at this insane pace. I don't know if he's the president of the insane pace club, but he's he's in the club. Like that's oh, yeah. for sure for his output. He's a fighter who cardio is a tool. And not only is it a tool for him, it's his best weapon. He's the ultimate like gamer. He will he will start off at this normal pace and he just builds and builds. And by the third round, 
And you guys, I know if someone hasn't heard me talk about building before, I'm talking about building is just someone who like the output rises each round and gets more. Every minute goes down, they can become more effective and more output. Uh, he's a guy that like he'll start off normal in the first round, and by the third round, he's like in a full sprint. He's this long and lengthy fighter who it's really it's funny. I'm not sure what you're gonna get with his long in his length between each fight because one fight he wants to be on the outside throwing straight jabs, long type strikes, jab, a uh, little short, no tell jab, teep kicks, calf kicks. I mean, go back to like the Anthony Rocco Martin. He was beating up Rocco Martin with a calf kick. That's a fight where he broke a guy with his with his output. For a mm-hmm. guy who like Rocco Martin was doing well and Magni just broke him with that. Then like any then another fight you'll see him, he'll be using that length to take these like giant steps where he's just so long. You take these steps and close the distance in no time. And he wants to be in the clinch. He wants to battle. He wants to grind in there where he can kind of use uh, his cardio advantage inside where he's throwing step in knees inside and, and landing close quarter strikes and elbows and uh, knees and shoulder strikes and all like just little like annoying things that he can do. He's one of the most underrated offensive wrestlers of all time. He reminds me of like Belial Muhammad and, and, and what I mean by that is in like the accolades, like these guys don't have these great rest and accolades, but in so many matches, they're able to get on top in, in win. Now, Magni struggles with better wrestlers defensively. Like RDA was one, Michael Kessa, but like you cannot sleep on his grappling. He's just a well-rounded now. Rachmanov, he's 27. Like that's the first thing that jumps out of me. Like he's 27. He's probably just now entering his prime years. He's a very composed striker. He works behind a very crisp jab. He throws combinations. I love that he works the body to set up his power shots. Uh, he's got good power. He's a bit. He's also a big guy. Like he's a he's a bigger guy. Uh, he does pull his head straight back. He kind of pulls a little bit, um, not to the side, more straight back, which I'm a little worried about. Uh, but he's a strong wrestler. He likes to – he's more of a, like, upper body, get to the body locks, kind of grind on you too, take you down, good top control. He has five submission wins. He submitted Michelle Bahia's really quickly. That's a really, really good submission. So as far as prediction goes, I love this fight. I just love it. Uh, it's good matchmaking. I hate that Neil Magny has to be, like, this gatekeeper to the, to, to the like, the rising guys. You mentioned the Sean Brady's. Yeah, uh, that's what these guys are, and that's kind of what Neil Magny has to be. And he's he's also the guy who's willing to do it. Like you never heard Neil Magny ever complain about a matchmaking. He just he's always going to say yes. I think the line's way off. I don't think Magny should be that big of an underdog. However, I am taking Rachmanov. He's just so technically sound. He hits harder. He's younger. He's faster. He has the higher upside. Uh, I never have confidence picking against Magny because he's like we talked about. He's a perfect overachiever. He's easily the guy that can ruin the hype of somebody because when Rachmanov is, it starts getting hard. Has he been pushed there? Has he, has he, does he have the mental uh, fortitude? We don't know that. We know Mag- Maggie does. And when you take a step of competition, is the self doubt start creeping in? And all of a sudden, like, I've landed all these power shots to put other guys out, and Maggie's still in my face. Do I start doubting, like, oh man, maybe I wasn't ready for this type of level of guy? That's what Neil Mackin can do to somebody. I'm not picking that. I'm still, I'm, I don't want to go beyond the skill set. 
So I'm taking Rob Romanoff by decision. But as far as betting, I'm not touching this. Yeah, I I like a lot of what you put down there. It it's instructive to me to look at the people that have beaten Neil Magny badly over the years, and it it tends to be two types of people, either people that are good enough offensive wrestlers and top position grapplers that they can just physically bully him around, you know, Kiesa, RDA, or people that have such an advantage in speed on the feet that they're able to just like tag him and hurt him over and over again, like uh, Ponzinibbio and Larkin. Like th- th- those are basically th- the ways that you handle Neil Magny. The problem to me is that Rachmanov is probably both. Like uh, he's at a good point. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> uh, like it's not just the people he's beaten in the UFC, but how he's done it. Because Alex Oliveira is generally not a dummy on the ground at all, and he's even at 170 is a like a physically just extremely strong oh, individual. And yeah. the way that Rachmanov just ran over him so effortlessly. Because I picked Oliveira in that fight because I always have you know, and if you're a veteran of this show, you know I have the wait and see about these ripped physical specimens coming out of uh, Asia and uh, you know the CIS. I'm like, eh, let's let's wait until we see you under the the bright lights of USADA once or twice. But no, he's kept all of his physical tools. Like in terms of just pure kind of physical horsepower and fast twitch athleticism, he is reminiscent of of Hamzat Shemaev that way. Just the the way he's kind of physically overpowering and overwhelming people that you're not used to seeing that from. I mean, Michelle Prezeres is an undersized welterweight, but he is a physical fireplug and a legitimately great grappler. Like, he is a great, great grappler. And Rachmanov took him down easily and just bullied him on the ground. And then against Harris, someone who is even taller, has longer reach, and is a, you know, a fast twitch striker like thrashed him with a spinning kick, uh, you know, on the, on the feet. Those are all things that do make me worry about Neil Magny in, in this fight. Because Magny is, he's good everywhere. You pointed out he's an extremely underrated offensive wrestler. You never look at like the tall skinny guy and assume he's going to be much of a wrestler, but M- Magny always has been, at least in terms of offensive wrestling. Uh, but people who are much better than him in one area can sometimes kind of, you know, overcome his well-roundedness. So much as it pains me to to say it because I'm as big a Neil Magny fan as you'll find, you know, he was the coolest cat from really the last season of the ultimate fighter that I bothered watching. Like, I think this is going to be a level up moment for Rachmanov. I think he's going to overwhelm Magny early in a way that we've only seen very elite fighters do. And that'll tell us something about Rachmanov that he is in fact a very elite fighter. If I had to pick one and I do, because that's what I'm here for, uh, give me him to surprise Magny by lighting him up on the feet with uh, with some punches and maybe some body kicks uh, that'll work against Magny's high guard, uh, getting this thing to the ground, just you know, surprising Magny with a level change, and then uh, really overpowering him on the way to a submission. And I'm going to say it happens in the first round. Wow, first round. I'll add this. If it gets out of the first round, and certainly if it gets out of the second round, things get much more interesting. Shavkat oh, Rachmanov is not just 15-0. He's 15-0 with all finishes. And he's only ever even been to the third round once. Jesus. 14 of his 15 fights have ended within like eight minutes. So <laughs> yeah. if Magny gets a chance to start weaponizing his pace, it's on. But I'm not picking it to happen. Yeah. 
With that, we come to the main event of UFC Vegas 57, a lightweight matchup between Armand Sarukian and Mateusz Gamrot. Sarukian, 25-year-old uh, Armenian by way of Russia, is 18-2 and two overall. He is 5-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, entered with a certain amount of fanfare, but uh, lost a unanimous decision to Islam Makachev in his debut, and that was just over three years ago back at UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Alenik. Since then, wasn't he's rattled. Wasn't a short notice, too? Wasn't a short notice debut? I don't remember, but it wouldn't okay. surprise me. So short notice against Islam Makachev. I, I could be wrong on that. As a 22-year-old, eh, you know, just the usual. Uh, and it was a really then, close fight. Mm -hmm. Since then, he's rattled off five straight. Uh, over Olivier Oban Mercier, Davi Hamos, Matt Frivola, Christos Yagos, and most recently, back in February, Joel Alvarez, whom he punched out in the second round at UFC Fight Night Makachev versus Green. Across the octagon from him will be Gamrot. The 31-year-old Pole is 20-1 and one with one no contest overall. He entered the UFC in October of 2020 with all kinds of hype as he was a departing two division champ from KSW. He had won the lightweight title and uh, defended it several times and then won the vacant featherweight title and then immediately uh, abandoned both to, to sign with the UFC. He dropped the split decision to Guram Kutadaladze in that debut. He's bounced back from that disappointment with three straight wins over Scott Holtzman, Jeremy Stevens and Diego Fajera. All three of them finishes. The most recent of those, the Fajera fight, was a second-round TKO uh, at UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Dawkins, where he just mauled him with a uh, step-in knee to the liver. Uh, Fajera went down and tapped the mat like he, he was done. So two guys that bounced back from uh, disappointment in their UFC debuts and have looked all but invincible ever since. But in... it. In the eyes of the odds makers, one of them a little bit more invincible than the other, as Sarukian is a minus 240 favorite here, Gamrot plus 200 on the comeback. Keith, this is a high-level matchup between uh, lightweights, either of whom, I mean, could be in the title picture a year from now. How do you see this playing out? What kind of upside do you see for the winner? You know, and who wins? Oh man, the upside is yeah, the sky's the limit. I'm I'm all in on both these guys. Everything I said about Josh Parisi versus Albedo fight, like complete opposite of this fight. Like this is an incredible stylistic matchup. Um, I just looked it up. It, it wasn't a short notice fight for Sorokin against uh, Islam Makhachev, but it was a really close fight when he was 22 years old in his UFC debut in the co-main event of a of a card against a guy who a lot of people believe is the best 155 pounder on the planet. I'm not saying he is, but like, it's not a, and, it's not a bold statement. And I think he was the last guy to take a round off Makachev for like a long time. Yeah. 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 And then Gamera two weight champ who lost a split decision to Kutalazi. who's really good and a really fun like absolute war of a fight. Uh, this this fight is it's really is. I'm so glad they made it to main event. It was sucked. It's so weird who the UFC's high on, who they're not high on, who gets main events, who doesn't. Like 
if if you told me these two was got matched up and it was on the prelims, like would that have shocked you? Nope. Wouldn't yeah. have, wouldn't have shocked me. So I'm glad that they gave these guys respect. Uh Sarukian is so good. He's an amazing athlete that is so slick on the feet, tight, tight boxing, quick hands, great fluidity, great head movement, so good at slipping shots, but keeping himself in range to counter shot with accurate shots of his own. He throws hard body shots. He has KO power in both his hands. We saw that against Jagos. Uh, he'll toss in a spinning attack just because he has that athleticism and fun. Hard calf kicks. He's a great wrestler. Great timing on his on his entries. Great reactionary double. Where if you pressure him, you can just drop on the great at winning scrambles. He gets in the clinch. He like he's got some trips, foot sweeps. Um, he's hard to submit. I mean, he. I, I mentioned this before when we broke down film. Davi Hamos is an Abu Dhabi champion, and he outgrappled Davi, Davi Hamos. Uh, you mentioned he won rounds against Islam Makachev, and every I, haven't, I didn't say a negative thing about him. Like my entire breakdown, I couldn't find a negative thing. And he's only twenty five years old, so everything I said could make a jump in improvement. Like he might even be a better grappler than he was, you know, his last fight, or more power, or fast to hit whatever it is like he's at that age where he starts you start making huge jumps and improvement gamera on the other hand gamera is so well-rounded he's a southpaw who's a great athlete technically sound fast accurate long strikes down the pipe um he he's really good at like changing stances in the middle of blitz which gives him new angles it's like one of the best strikers he showed off power by Starchin Scott Holtzman, who's a really a kind of underrated fight, a tough out for anybody. Um, he 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 was hurt a couple times by Kudalaze, but like also hurt Kudalaze back in a really fun fight. He's his grappling is off the charts. Great entries, so good at getting to the second level when he's when he's driving, cutting an angle, smothering top control. He has five submission wins. I mean, like look just how quick he. Submitted just like Jeremy Stevens, <laughs> like clown like, him. Yeah, with yeah. ease. Um, he will go for leg locks, which is a little thing I hate, but he has great cardio. I mean, like, go back to like the Kudalazi fight, that was an absolute war, and he was going hard and winning the third round, in my opinion. Uh, as far as prediction goes, I love both of these guys. If you if you tell me the winner of this fight is the champion two years from now. I won't doubt it one iota. Like 18 months from now, same thing. I, I'm all in on both guys. I think the odds are way off. I think this is an absolute war between two tacticians. I'm really I'm really in like intrigued by the southpaw of Gamera versus Sarukin, who kind of can fight out of both stances, but like if Surukin stays in the orthodox, the how that changed the dynamic of the power shots between both of them, the body shots from both of them, the wrestling. Like, I'm really intrigued by that little thing. Uh, man, as far as a winner, man, I'm going to go with Sarukian because he does hit harder. Like, that's the one thing when I'm trying to separate these guys. I think he hits harder. But I think both these guys are going to have moments. I think we're going to have some back and forth on the feet, kicks, punches, in the clinch, in the grappling exchanges. I see, like, takedowns and switches. And uh, I think we're just going to watch two of the best guys in the division going at it, showing off unbelievably unmatched skill sets. 
give me Sarukian by split decision and the, in my opinion, the easy pick for fight of the night. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you here. I'm, I'm one, I'm all in on both of these guys. Uh, even if Gamrot, you know, as the older fighter and the one with, uh, I, I wouldn't say more fight experience. I think they both have about the same number of fights, but you know, more high level, uh, fight experience, even if he's more of the finished product and what we see is what we get. I see him as a guy that will stick around the UFC, uh, top 10 for several years to come. And if he wins on Saturday might well win his way to a, a title shot within the next year. Uh, whereas, Sarukian, you point out he's so young. He was 22 in when he debuted against uh, Islam Makachev. Just an incredibly difficult ask. And just the upside. The, the raw physical tools are incredible. The, the skill set is diverse and well-rounded, and he flows so effortlessly from one phase to the next. And those are things that, as he's 25 and growing towards 30, are only going to get better. You mentioned that he has power in both hands. Fighters' power gets better between 25 and 30 generally, especially if they have solid technique like he does. Uh, it gives me a little bit of pause that I believe this will be Sarukian's first time in a five-round fight uh, where Gamrod has has been into the championship round several times. He's undefeated in those fights, and that includes against good some point. good people. Like, he's fought Norman Park twice in five-round fights and, and beat him both times. That's uh, a great point. If, so if this goes past the you know the middle of the second round and no man or i mean even if one man is ahead but like gamrot is looking fresher and more relaxed that certainly uh we'll, we will have learned something there but give me sarukian in, in this fight to win in what i agree with you should be the fight of the night it should be a it should be a, a wild fight in all three phases. Like I, I look forward to the striking exchanges. I look forward to the scrambles. I look forward to actual exchanges on the ground where one guy is looking to advance position or, or work for a submission. Yeah. I want to see how these guys match up. Gamrod is a fantastic grappler. As you pointed out, I don't think he uh, ever entered the main Abu Dhabi uh, tournament in earnest, but I mean, he owned the Euro Abu, uh, Abu Dhabi combat club for like a decade. You know, I want to say you won it like four or five times. Like, right. um, and it, you know, it's a very good tournament in, in its own right. Uh, you know, and yet I don't automatically think he's going to have the grappling advantage here. So I just can't yeah. wait to see. I'm leaning towards Sarukian to win by decision in a really, really fun fight. But whoever comes out of this uh, with the win, you know, wow. it's going to be really, really well positioned in this division going forward. And it's by no means time to cut bait on whoever loses. You know, yeah, like, well, when we do a matchmaking, I'm matching up with like a top five guy of the division. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and and I say say Gamrock comes out and just plunks Sarukian in the first round. I still think Sarukian could be the the champ in two or three years. Like, oh, absolutely. Likewise, if if Sarukian just dominates Gamrock, I still think Gamrock's going to be a top ten fighter in this division for another three years at least. Would you? Not that I expect the UFC to do this, but would you hate the winner of this fight facing Justin Gaethje next? I would love that. Yeah. If you that's fight of the year, it's a fight of the year contender. <laughs> yeah, that's what they deserve. Yeah. And no, the winner of this fight, assuming there's no controversy, assumes needs somebody who's in the title picture, but not immediately in line for a shot. Someone like Aichi. That's what I thought yeah. of Aichi. I originally yeah. thought of Chandler, but after a Chandler's knockout, probably not. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. That is it. 
12 fights up, 12 fights down. This has been the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 38, Sarukian versus Gamrot. If this is your first time watching us, first of all, thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we had a few more asides here than we usually do, but we, uh, we always do bring a little bit of story time along with the analysis. And uh, please do, you know, like, subscribe, uh, you know, and make comment. sure to check us next week. Comment for sure. Uh, Keith and I are both good about commenting back if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, and definitely keep in mind that we do recaps of all these events 10 to 15 minutes after the main event of this card. We will be live on the SureDog YouTube page, breaking down all these fights. We will start from the top fight and work our way to the bottom, talking about what was good, what was bad, what was controversial, what's next for the winners as well as the losers, hand out some awards, but most importantly for you, the live chat is open during that time, so we are taking your questions, your comments, your hot takes. Uh, we have quite a few regulars there that uh, really, really do contribute to the conversation, and we would love to see you join them. Between now and then, uh, thank you once again for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week, and definitely enjoy the fights.